You are listening to the number one Toyota truck and SUV podcast, Toyota Trucks and Trails, with discussions from restorations to racing, interviews with folks from all over the Toyota community, product and event reviews, and much more. We are sure to offer something for you, so sit back and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Toyota Trucks and Trails podcast, episode 44. I am your host, Jason Hoffman. With me, as usual, is your famous and awesome and amazing co-host rich larusso before we we get into too much here rich we need to make a couple of announcements um one we are are very excited to announce this episode that uh we are working with with a company called cruiser gear some of you folks may be familiar with them um if you're not we're going to let you know who they are and and what they do a little bit uh cruiser gear let me see here they have been making uh, Toyota apparel, patches, shirts, that kind of stuff um, for over two years now. They're constantly uh, designing great new products every month. And this month, they have added some awesome uh, hooded sweatshirts to their store just in time for cold weather. Um, check them out at, uh, at cruisergearshop.com slash T-T-A-T and... Uh, when you find something you like, if you use that, that discount code TTAT, you'll get 10% off your, your entire order. So, um, again, we're, we're happy to announce that, that Cruiser Gear is, is helping us out here and, and kind of sponsoring the show for uh, in part for the next, next few episodes. Um, and uh, we, we look forward to, to working with them in the future, um, right along with, uh, with our, our buddy steve springs at southeast overland and and uh, all the uh, all the support that that steve has given us given us over the years um rich do you have anything you want to you want to add in there buddy well i just like to thank um blake and steve uh for uh you know sponsoring us because uh we've we've got some really cool stuff in the works for the future uh that we're going to tell you about in a few minutes here and uh, the support of sponsors is something that, uh, you know, helps, helps keep it going. Um, <clears throat> you know, without digging too deep into that, I also just want to say that, uh, you know, for our listeners, you know, we're just simple guys and, and we're just doing this largely out of our pocket. So the sponsors really help take that edge off us personally. Um, I, I think if you've ever met Jason or myself, uh, you know, we're not rich men. And uh, I don't think we'll ever get rich off a podcast, but it is nice to have that that edge taken off. You know, money's tight for everybody. We we all have uh, uh, rusty bolts to to free up. And uh, the other thing I'd like to say is, you know, we we want to be considerate to you, the listener, um, about you know running an ad, which is basically what we just did here, right? So we want to make sure that you realize that we're not looking to spam you to death with ads and that we are very selective about who we choose to work with. For sure. We, we, we don't want to work with anybody that, uh, that our listeners don't want to, uh, don't want to, or don't already, at least in some way, uh, support meaning that, uh, we, we only want to work with people that kind of work within the, uh, within Toyota community. That's what we're, that's what we're about so right that's right you're not going to hear us uh you know talk about uh tire shine uh unless we're making fun of it 
and uh, you know, or brands of car wax or stuff like that. It's going to be, you know, stuff that we think you will be interested in. Um, so what kind of stuff does Cruiser Gear carry now that, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Blake Heiner, uh, who runs uh, Cruiser Gears on, on board with us? Uh, so the, let me tell you a little bit about that. And Jason, I know you know already, but uh, for our listeners, he's got your patches, and which I know patches are rapidly becoming a form of currency in the Toyota community. <laughs> uh, he's got some stickers and uh, some apparel, hats, T-shirts, socks. Uh, and maybe some things I, you know, didn't didn't notice or wasn't aware of. So uh, he's got some cool stuff. So be sure mention TTAT uh, <clears throat> in your, uh, you know, shopping cart to get a uh, a nice little discount over there. For sure, and and we appreciate Blake and and Cruiser Gear for for offering that discount to our listeners. That uh, it. Uh, just shows some some more support for for the podcast more than just uh more than just the the financial contribution to be able to uh to offer something cool like that to our listeners so so how you doing jason how how you doing well (laughs) hanging in there hanging in there we uh we've had a lot going on behind the scenes here over the uh over the past what week two weeks something like that um with uh obviously the listeners that uh, that listened to last episode and had listened to to previous episodes um folks i i hope that uh that you noticed the the improved audio quality of of the last episode um hopefully that that will continue we have uh we've enlisted the help of of a small burgeoning company, uh, DRB and KGB Media, that uh, our our buddy David Boyd is kind of getting getting fired up and going, and uh, we've got him doing the uh, doing the audio editing and and fixing our our screw ups and that kind of stuff for us. So, um, if uh, if you think that the last episode sounded better, um, I, I by no means can take any credit for it. That is uh, that is solely on David. Uh, he, I think he done a fantastic job, and and uh, really appreciate his help as well. So, and, and I appreciate the listener feedback too. I think I think we, Jason, you and I both have gotten some great listener feedback about the sound quality, and uh, we, you know, thanks everyone um, for giving us, you know, the positive and the negative about our sound quality. As you can see, we're working on it, and and you know, we've. You know, when we have the backing of sponsors, that uh, helps us um, basically pay someone else to take care of this. We had a call for backup. Okay, uh, let's 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 not beat around the bush. We had a call up for some backup on the on the audio, just because it's an immense task for uh, a couple of people that don't have a lot of time to work on it. You know, and and um, <clears throat> you know, many podcasts out there actually have a team. That helped them get it out, get it out there. So it's actually pretty cool that that we actually have someone to to work on that. I, f- I feel, you know, feel feel like we're growing a little bit, and uh, that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is we've also got uh, well, we have some other cool news, don't we, Jason? Absolutely, we do. I'm gonna, and, and with that said, I'm, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you talk about that amazing news <laughs> that we have. <laughs> 
Well, we're um, actually uh, redesigning our podcast logo, which means we're going to have a, a, a new logo, which means new patches, shirts, stickers, and stuff like that. We've sort of held back on restocking uh, our patches, patches and stickers and T-shirts that folks have been asking for uh, for months now um, because we've been working on, you know, getting a new logo designed. <clears throat> and it's the kind of logo that we're going to want to have to live with for a few years. So, um, you know, we're, we're going through that process now. We've actually got a designer uh, working on that. And, um, you know, it's going pretty well so far. We actually just kind of got it kicked off. So uh, we haven't even seen the, uh, <clears throat> you know, what's come out of his uh, evil mastermind uh, yet. But uh, that's something else to look forward to. So we're going to polish up the website a little bit. You know, we're going to get some new products. Um, basically, we're just trying to slap a little po polish on everything. We've, you know, trying to bring up the audio quality and just trying to deliver, you know, something um, that we hope you it's, it's easier for you to listen to um, and, uh, you know, some cool stuff because everyone likes cool stuff. Uh, and then, of course, we're always working on new content, new and interesting content, you know, things to tell you about and things to talk about uh, and, you know, a fair bit of commentary. So um, <clears throat> that's uh, that's all coming up and, and it's a, a good deal. Of this stuff is going to happen over the winter. Um, there's still a few events left this year, and I think uh, both Jason and I are anxious to uh, get out and get some trail time before the uh, white stuff starts fallen out of the ground at least for you know those of us in the northern states yeah we don't uh we don't deal with that too terrible much here but uh, it does happen occasionally yeah it's supposed <laughs> to be a good one this year or a good one or a bad one depending on how you look at it well it's supposed I, to be a, a, pr a pretty pretty snarky winter we're headed for i don't mind the snow and stuff um all but when i'm when I'm at work, I can, I can do without it at work, but yeah, being out on the road and, and, and that stuff is, unless you're in your Toyota. <laughs> uh, sadly, that's not the case. So, but, but yes, very, very true. Very true. Yeah. You're out there with all the other boneheads who probably shouldn't be out on the road. Yes. Yes. Well, wait, not other boneheads. Those other people are bone. You're not a bonehead, but they're, you know, they're boneheads. We, we, we knew what you meant. We knew All right. Well, I just wanted, you know, I mean, it's okay if you call yourself a bonehead, as I've heard you do at several occasions, but I'm not going to call you a bonehead. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, but we'll, uh, we'll move on anyway. Um, <laughs> you, you, you personally have had, uh, man, you've had a lot going on since, since the last time we, we, we recorded some, some things not so good and kind of kind of a bit harrowing and and uh and some some kind of cool stuff that that has has fallen into place a after that why don't you uh take a few minutes rich and and kind of update folks that that uh, may not have have caught what all's been been going on well um you know, I'm going to I'm going to talk about this in a lighthearted and in a, in a happy way, because even though there is some bad news, um, first of all, everyone's OK, which is the most important thing. And that's, you know, when, when something bad happens and everyone's OK, then it's OK to laugh about it. Right. <laughs> so um, so, you know, we, we we definitely had, you know, a, a pretty, pretty big incident here uh, in, in my personal life. 
but uh, you know, also the good number of good things came because of it. Um, so needless to say, um, my wife almost died in a car accident, um, and I'm laughing about it because she walked out with uh, some scratches. And I, when I say walked out, I mean she. I will post pictures uh, on this podcast episode, uh, so you know that that car was mangled, and the uh, first responders and the police that were on the scene said, you know, they had been looking at accidents for 10, 20 years, and and have seen, you know, people get a lot more hurt from a lot less damage. Um, without going into specific details about the accident. The Xterra is totaled. It, it is beyond totaled. Um, we were able to salvage her personal effects from the inside of the vehicle, uh, and that's it. We weren't able to, you know, she had bumpers, uh, a lift, slider, skids, um, you know, how to kiss it all goodbye. Um, and because it was, you know, that stuff was all, you know, a lot of people said, well, does your insurance cover that? And it actually does to a certain dollar amount, as long as you point it out to the adjuster that, you know, we had this and we had that, that we had added to the car and they factor it in. Um, so we basically got, um, a little over blue book value for the vehicle, which for a 2005 Nissan, uh, <clears throat> isn't a heck of a lot, but Hey, let's not complain. She's okay. And the vehicle did its job at keeping her safe as best it could um when you see the you know for our listeners when you see the pictures if you haven't already because they were on social media a bit um it, it was just a horrible horrible accident um and it's lucky that no one was sitting in the passenger seat because that would have been um without a doubt a fatality it was extremely mangled so yeah, the, the vehicle vehicle held up pretty well the 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 passenger side the pictures that i seen you uh, other than than maybe the rear door you you couldn't even discern that it was was an xterra um it uh i'm i'm happy for you and and happier for amy that she uh she walked away with it with uh for uh, with 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 no more injuries other than you know uh, i i know how much she she enjoyed that truck i i got to wheel with her uh you know with you guys up at at uh, the the northeaster run and and you could just tell how how proud she was of that of that truck and and so the uh the the downside to her of of losing a vehicle that she she thought a lot of and that kind of stuff is uh it's got to be rough but um she had you know how they say you know who they are and they say stuff well you know how they say uh bad things happen to good people um and you know i'm not much of a believer in you know fate or anything like that but that was certainly the case here i mean she made her last car payment on that she had bought it used and so she had made her last car payment on it on august 27th we got the title in the mail uh, a week or two i think it might have even been a week before the accident she never missed a payment she worked overtime she worked so hard for that xterra it was her dream truck she always wanted one and uh, you know 
we we had a lot of fun with that thing out on the trails we had a lot of curse words while trying to repair things on it because i found it to be you know a challenging vehicle to work on so it, it you know there was a lot of a lot of you know pride and and hurt feelings you know over over that that vehicle being wrecked and uh, again it did its job it kept her safe and she's alive and you know she's she's happy to you know be driving again um but but uh, you know it, it was just a tough break for her i felt so bad uh that um you know she, i mean she hadn't even had a chance to take the title to the dmv to actually get it you know uh well here and out i guess it works different in different states so i'll explain that but uh here when you you know pay off a vehicle they sort of give you this temporary title and you have to take it to the dmv and they issue a title you know a formal vehicle title in your name she hadn't even had a chance to do that yet <laughs> so that was just a kick in the pants but so that was the bad so here's the good uh you know you know she had her eyes on several different vehicles um, she had rental coverage on her insurance which i recommend everyone to have always have rental insurance because you know you need to you do need to get home and get to work and stuff like that so she had a rental car but we sort of had a scramble or that rental car was going to start costing us money uh, so she sort of had to scramble and and find something quick and um we test drove forerunner and a, a couple of gx 470s i was sort of pushing for the gx 470 because she likes an suv that has some room um you know i obviously was pushing for a toyota product i didn't was didn't really want to see another nissan product no offense nissan fans um I, you know just toyotas are my favorite so you know with the the, the gx 470 being basically a v8 fj cruiser and we'll talk more about that later um you know i was really pushing for it and then once she was able to drive one um <clears throat> she was pretty I, one night we were just sitting here and she was sitting at her computer and she was looking at cars and i just heard randomly after like an hour of silence you know yeah i want a gx 470 so I said yes, <laughs> and uh, my evil plan worked, right? So we found a really nice specimen uh, here in Connecticut. Um, it was a 2009. It was a single owner, had been garaged its whole life. If you looked underneath it, you would never guess it was a Northeast truck uh, or that it had 102,000 miles on it. As far as we can tell, the timing belt's been done. 2009 is a great year to have between 05 and 09 is sort of the sweet spot that's that's the gx 470 you want we can talk more about that later too or but uh basically we found this <laughs> i mean it is just immaculate there's not a scratch on it there's not a scratch in it there's maybe a little water stain on one of the carpets from where somebody looks like somebody left the window open in the rain one night other than that, it still had the college stickers on the back of it, <laughs> probably, you know, from the previous owner's kids. The the car salesman told me the name of the town that the car came from. And as soon as he said the name of the town, I knew what we were dealing with. <laughs> so this is a person who probably took it all, all to the dealer for service. Um, they put brand new tires on it, which 
as you know, we've 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 already got a set of Firestone MTs bound for this car. <laughs> but, uh, well, needless to say, we we ended up buying it, and I'm not going to talk about money. It was priced a little on the high side, but considering what it is, we were willing to say it's worth it. And uh, she's absolutely loves it. She's been super happy, and uh, we've already got some nice plans let's just say we've got some nice plans uh in the works to uh get it lifted and get some some armor on it and get some bumpers on it and stuff so um everybody's super happy you know now in the end and and uh that that's what's most important um you know other than test driving it i haven't had a chance to drive it um you know of course during test drive i tested all the four-wheel drive systems in the center locker and and things like that but uh other than that i you know i i can't get her out of the driver's seat so that's a good thing well with with the the purchase of that vehicle um there there's one one downside for that 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 you may not have realized yet um you've You've mentioned before that uh, that your wife doesn't listen to the podcast and that kind of stuff, and and I've always just assumed that that's you know because she didn't own a Toyota, but uh, but now that she owns a Toyota and, and I know that she off roads because like I said I've I've been there with her. Um, it it uh, it's almost a, a given that she has to listen to the podcast now. So Rich is gonna you're you're gonna have to start watching watching what you say now. Uh, that's all right. You know what? If 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 I don't screw up on on the podcast, I'll screw up off the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're married, you know. <laughs> I don't care, and I don't care if you're a husband or a wife. You know, you know, there's always something you do to screw something up. So, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe she will start listening. Uh, you know, and maybe as uh, she's got some really cool things in the works. Um, there's definitely some some things happening for her in the toyota community that i can't really speak about but i'm sort of hinting at so i hope uh you know that gets everyone excited but she's got things going on already as soon as uh as soon as certain key people in the community heard she was getting a toyota um you know and and if you've ever met my wife you know she's uh she's hilarious so (laughs) you know the she, she you know i wouldn't be surprised if if she was you know, taking my place when I'm away at an event, you know, uh, one day. But um, I think that um, I, I think that you know, her being a part of the Toyota community too is is going to be pretty cool because you know, you and I are we go to a bunch of events and we see a bunch of people and we do a bunch of stuff. So you know, they're you know, maybe it'll it'll uh, get her out there more and stuff like that. So. And plus, you know, she gets all my old spare parts. She's she's already eyeballing stuff in the garage. Like, oh, does that fit? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it'll fit. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I like I like the interchangeability. I, I was gonna say with with that choice of vehicle, it's you know she doesn't have to uh, to have a twin to your your FJ Cruiser, but it's still the same platform. So there'll be a be a lot of interchangeability there and that kind of stuff. That's uh, definitely definitely a plus i know she does a lot of a lot of her own work and that kind of stuff but even you know if you if you have to guide her through something or, or something along those lines you're you're already familiar with for the most part with the drivetrain and and uh, I- any any problem issues and, and that kind of stuff so 
that uh, yeah yeah i mean it is the same as a forerunner or an fj cruiser you know from the engine back and if it's a v8 forerunner it is the same darn thing so well i uh i personally um amy i don't know whether you'll listen to this this episode of the podcast or not but welcome to the uh welcome to the toyota community and look forward to uh look forward to seeing what you all do with this truck and and kind of how it uh how it comes together oh and and uh this is i should throw this in because this is funny and uh she's super proud of it she was she she has to have a name for every vehicle so the uh her exterior she just named it tank um and you know all her other cars had names too this is just a thing she does so we were trying to think about names for this car and after a good deal of back and forth uh this this vehicle's white so she decided to name it betty white because it's definitely female it's very princessy so uh you know hopefully our listeners get to see betty white on the trail just don't just don't get it confused with the old betty white because i I, i'm i'm personally familiar with another another betty white that was a uh there was an off-road truck at one time, so. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, wasn't a wasn't a Toyota. It it, it kind of interesting how that flip flopped. It was actually a Nissan, but. Uh. Uh, <laughs> well, I I you know I, uh, as we were looking around for names of white vehicles, we found that you know this is certainly not the first or only Betty White uh, vehicle, or four by four. Um, I I believe there's actually. Uh, an FJ Cruiser named Betty White out there also. So, you know, whatever. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of names Sally, too. So, Yeah, exactly. I'm, I've never been a big one for, for naming vehicles. Um, I've had nicknames for, for a couple, but uh, with, with as, as many as I have sitting in the yard right now, and that's not bragging, it's actually complaining, I've I've had to give a, a, a couple of different <laughs> a couple of different ones nicknames just so I could could kind of keep straight which one was which when I was talking about them. So yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not at that point yet. I've I've had one name for for my FJ since forever, and uh, I, you know I I but I don't really think of it as a person. You know, like it's tough for me to name things like that because I don't look at it as a living thing it's a it's a machine and you know it's not like a boat <laughs> there's the you know there's a lot more faith involved with piloting a boat than there is a machine sure, so, sure. <laughs> not to say there's no faith with the machine but you know proportionately so you know boats kind of tend to take on a, a, diff- a different meaning so you know for me machines were just they're machines and you know even if you replace every part of it it's still that machine so it's just never i don't know just different different schools of thought i know a lot of a lot of uh, gentlemen in the off-road community like to refer to their vehicles as a female and she is doing this and she is doing that and you know that's that's just one of those things people do it's uh it's interesting how we uh we humans can approach inanimate objects like that but uh yeah i, I i'm with you i i don't uh, don't see them as as uh living breathing things there there are times i'd i'd like to shoot them and and you know, 
<laughs> have them die a painful death, which, you know, they can't do that either. But um, it, it, those thoughts have definitely crossed my mind at, at different times. So, yep. Yep. And, and, you know, in the, in the long and short of it, whatever makes you happy and whatever, you know, everybody's got their good luck charm, right? Everybody's got their lucky rabbit's foot of some sort. So, well, uh, besides the uh the addition of, of Betty White to to the uh LaRusso household what uh <laughs> what else has uh what what else have you been up to any any other exciting stuff uh I wouldn't say exciting um you, you know the it's been running great and I haven't done a heck of a lot of wrenching um I did want to build a spare long travel axle which I didn't have so I sort of went on this quest to uh, rebuilding, you know, I, I had a pile of old axles lying around in the garage and that pile used to be bigger for some reason. There was only three there now. And I don't know, maybe I lent some to friends or, you know, lost, who knows what I did. Um, I don't even know, but you know, I had this little pile of them. So I said, well, you know, I, I have a trip coming up in a few weeks. I'm going to rebuild an axle before then. Take me five minutes, right? Because, you know, that's how long everything, everything takes five minutes, right? So um, I blew that off and blew that off and, you know, blew, blew off, meaning, you know, postponed it or procrastinated and, and said, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. Well, finally, here, here I am, you know, the weekend before I have to go somewhere. Time to rebuild that axle, right? <laughs> So I get all my stuff together and I'm tearing the axle apart. I got the axle apart and my shafts won't fit in the <laughs> inner or outer joints. And it, um, the, you know, I'm using, uh, two inch longer center shafts in my CVs. So, you know, I have aftermarket shafts and I was warned not only by, you know, the maker of the, the long travel kit, but by friends that you can only use OEM Toyota CV joints to, to rebuild your axles. You, you, you know, they won't work with rebuilt ones. And I, I heard that, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't probably in my head as strongly as it should have been. And so I, I kind of knew that the axles that I was tearing apart, I think they were Cardone brands. I don't know if you've ever heard of that brand. Of, of axle rebuild have you jason uh i have yes yes um i believe they were cardones which i've used cardones remand remand axles uh for a couple of years um you know i've had boot failures and things like that but i've never had a i think i had one that i broke but i broke it because i wasn't driving like i should have been so <clears throat> you know i was full droop full lock lots of skinny pedal kaboom so um the cardones have been okay and and uh so i'm pulling it apart and i'm noticing wait my shafts don't fit in any of the guts you know whether it was in the the you know the three roller the tripod tulip thing or whether it was the burfield joint uh the the axles wouldn't fit in there so obviously not oem so um it sort of woke me up and i remembered the stuff my friends and the manufacturer had told me that you can only use OEM axles. So I've been on this quest to collect OEM axles to, uh, you know, rather than buy them, buy them new. So, um, <clears throat> but the, the 
needless to say, the lesson here, I think, for our listeners, which, you know, I, let's face it, most people don't rebuild CVs. Most people just buy that $70 remanufactured one and take their OEM CV, chuck it in the trash, and slap in the replacement for $70 or have a mechanic do it even better, right? Well, your OEM CV is built much better than the, the, the particular rebuilds in question here. Um, the shafts, the center shafts on them are smaller. Uh, there is a difference in the amount of splines. It's, it's not just the spline difference. The shaft diameter is actually smaller in the rebuilds. So not by much, and it might not even be noticeable by the eye, but they do not fit. And your OEM axles are definitely better built. They're better constructed. They've got better quality components in them. Um, you know, it is worth your time to at least, you know, maybe swap in your your uh, $70 Rock Auto axles and, re, you know, ride around with them on the street and keep your uh, your your Toyota axles and rebuild them. Because, um, you know, especially in part-time four-wheel drive, it's not like these things get so much wear. What happens is the boot rips. No one feels like getting messy and dirty, which I don't blame you because I've eaten a lot of grease the last couple of days. Um, but uh, you, you know what? It's it's not a particularly hard job. Um, you know, it's the, the, the cost proportionate to a replacement axle is more, but it's still significantly less than a replacement OEM axle. And, you know, your vehicle came from the factory with OEM axles. You should hang on to those because you never know what you're going to do in the future, especially if you're going to throw in long travel or, you know, something. Hang on to those OEM axles or if you don't want them i will take them and i will pay the shipping <laughs> so that's just my uh my little lesson uh of of reaffirmation that i went through this weekend needless to say i did uh, uh my friend mike locally here had a uh, axle that he you know uh he was saving to rebuild and he didn't mind that i took it because you know he doesn't uh he doesn't do what I need to do and he's not switching out a shaft in it or anything so you know I, I traded him some cash for for his used ripped boot old OEM axle and rebuilt that uh, last night and this morning into a nice fresh uh, axle assembly so happy ending there I've got my spare axle <clears throat> and my next project is I'm looking for some PVC tube and I found out that five inches is the magic number so I'm going to get some six inch PVC like drain pipe, you know, the, you know, the kind. And um, I'm going to get that, put a cap on one end and figure out some kind of closing cap on the other end and make myself a little axle storage tube because I've had clamps get beat up rolling around in cardboard boxes or whatever in the back of the vehicle. So I figure I'll make this, you know, I went through all this trouble and all this money to, to build a nice new axle here, CV axle. So I'm going to build a storage tube. So it looks like the axle measures about five inches across. I can't seem to find five inch PVC drain pipe, but I'm no plumber. I'm no expert on this stuff. So I think six inches with, with a couple rags wrapped around it should do just fine. Right. <laughs> Well, Rich, I'll, I'll I'll tell you the same thing that we tell the listeners. If if you go back way back into our early episodes of the podcast, we actually discussed doing that a long time ago. 
I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. And yes, no, they don't make five inch. As far as I know, they don't make five inch uh, drain pipe. So it'll, it'll I, have to be. See, I had something like this before, and I don't remember what I did with it. But you know, it's rough getting old. It's rough being an, an aging metalhead in in twenty seventeen. You know, so. I understand completely. But I'm I'm marching my butt down to Home Depot and getting some of that <laughs> that six inch PVC and. I'm going to go uh, hack it up and figure out some way to uh, rig up a closing end for it of some sort. So this should be interesting. I think I think it's just going to be involved me just buying two end caps and getting a roll of duct tape. I think that's probably how this well, is going to they go. Make, they make a nice, you know, uh, clean-out cap with a, a big square square head on it that threads threads in that would work uh threads you you can thread that size pipe well i suppose you can thread anything it's just a just a cap that that glues onto the the pipe it's called a clean out connection oh okay keep an eye out i'll go i'll go see what home home deep out has it's going to be the cheapest of the options you know and well uh, i <clears throat> pardon me i'm i'm actually looking at at doing doing the same thing um which uh is kind of a reason for for one of the projects that I I finally got started on a few weeks ago. Um, if you're done talking about yourself, I'll I'll discuss some of the things that I got going on. I'm sorry. Well, you got me started, man. This is all your fault. <laughs> I'm just geez. giving you a hard time. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I uh, I had mentioned uh, God a year ago, maybe more that uh, that I wanted to build a. Uh, wanted to build a roof rack for the roof of the forerunner and uh after uh after many months of of driving down the road every day and and putting a ton of overthought into how i wanted to uh how i wanted to build my roof rack i finally got got started on that um now started for me means it's it started there's still no end date in sight but it's the the project is moving forward but um, one of the reasons that I, I wanted to build a roof rack and rich, th this is something that I wanted to ask you about too. Um, I, I think the, uh, the PVC, T <laughs> PVC tube for storing a shaft is a, is a fantastic idea, but where, where do you plan on storing the, the tube at in the end? Are are you planning on having it having it inside or outside of the truck? What 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 are your thoughts on that? Um, my old axles in a box. I I had built a, a sort of a I ripped out not ripped out but unbolted the uh, rear seats in my in my FJ Cruiser and put made a a platform and that was talked about you know I think a couple of months ago earlier this year anyway and uh, excuse me the um, so an axle in a box would fit perfectly under that platform in the in the back. Will the six-inch diameter tubing? Uh, I don't know. So I'm going to try that out once I get it. Um, if it doesn't fit there, um, I have uh, some options. I mean, it is an SUV, so I have a few different options on where I can put it. And because it'll be in that PVC pipe, you know, I don't really have to worry about it getting mingled with cargo too much. You know, it should should be okay. Um, worst case scenario, the other thing I was actually thinking of doing was, you know, um, 
gluing one cap on the end of it and whether the clean out you mentioned works or whether I just get another cap, put it on there and, and you know, seal it with tape really well um, and then get some enormous hose clamps and just hose clamp that thing to the to the roof, you know, to the roof rack because I have a roof rack. Well, that, that's, um, th- th- that, that, that was exactly the segue that I was that I was looking for. Um, because a, a shaft is kind of a it's kind of a bulky item and, and then putting it in a in a probably well with your long travel i don't know how long your axles are i'm gonna guess two and a half foot uh it's gonna be about um 30 i i i am estimated that i would probably need a 31 32 inch piece of pipe i actually took out a tape measure but i tend to get generous with my measurements because you can always remove more but you can't put more right right so so uh i i i estimated you know the number i have in my head to go they only sell it in 10 foot lengths so i'm gonna have to buy 10 feet but it was about 31 32 inches um and then i think the cap actually will add what maybe maybe three quarters of an inch on each end, you know, so I probably won't need quite that long, but yeah, 30 inches by six inches in diameter. The caps are going to be an eighth of an inch thicker than, than the tubing. Right. So it's going to make it, you know, six and a quarter inches maybe on the ends. And, uh, but the other thing is, is I didn't want this big white pill on my roof either. So I might paint it or something. Well, that, that, uh, honestly, that's one reason why I'm, I'm, uh, wanting to do my roof rack like i like i was saying it, it for for my situation my spare shaft tends to be it always seems to be in the road and i i don't have a good a good place anywhere to uh to put it and uh i i figured when i as i'm i'm building my rack i'm going to uh uh kind of factor in a way to semi-permanently mount something up there that i can can get a a a spare axle shaft in in and out of relatively easily and uh but still be you know extremely secure and that kind of stuff so to uh to hear you say that you're you're even willing to consider that is a i i was i was hoping to hear that and not not hear say oh you can't put a put something that heavy on the roof you're are you out of your mind so that's uh that's nice to hear thank you yeah i mean i don't and in terms of weight i don't even think it you know it's it's really that much of a weight thing i i don't know and and this is ignorance this isn't me trying to stir up a problem that doesn't exist you know i also think about that thing sitting up there baking in the sun and i just don't know what that would do to i don't think it would harm the boots really but you know the grease in the boots i don't know if it's going to sort of get liquidy and i i don't know you know i don't know what could happen and uh you know i'm always reluctant to add weight to the top of the vehicle sure. as much as possible sure. uh even if it's just a little bit because in the event i do use the roof rack to to bring a bunch of crap you know then you know you're, you're just compounding the problem and the roof rack is held up by the body you know and, and the roof rack itself weighs it's not a factory rack so it weighs a little more so there's there's some thoughts there you know there's some things to consider i figure the roof rack would be my last resort the one the, the you know other than my ignorance about the sitting in the sun uh especially if i paint it black which is what i like to paint things um is the the other thing is security now i've never really had anything significant stolen off my vehicle at an event um the only thing i can say is one time someone 
uh, stole my high lift off my roof rack. It, it was just the carrier. They left the bar. They left the standard. You know, the the standard is the bar, but they just took the carrier, <laughs> the whole carrier assembly. They just slid it off the end and bolted the bar back on and left the bar. Figure that one out. Nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. Yeah, exactly. And it was a, you know, it was a high lift extreme that I had used. I had, well, I had technically never used it. I had only used it to learn how to use it. I hadn't actually used it. <laughs> so, you know, um, thanks for, I, thanks for leaving me the bar, whoever you were. Uh, that was nice of you. Um, but, uh, so I've never had issues with, you know, at events I've left my keys on my dashboard you know, and my, my phone and my keys on my dashboard stupidly, you know, and walked away where if it was New York, of course, the whole truck could be gone. But, but, you know, I've just never had issues with security at off-road events. But ever since that one thing happened, I always kind of think like, well, whatever I put out, I should have some, you know, any, anything can be worked around, right? No matter what I do, somebody can steal something if they really, really want it. But sure. what are they going to damage, you know? trying to do it so you know i i just you know it's just one of those stupid things like i should probably just get over it but if i can find a way to store it inside i'm gonna start inside <laughs> i gotcha i gotcha <laughs> well my uh my my immediate thought is to uh to like i said to put put mine on the on the roof rack and get it get it out of inside and uh just uh figure out a way to to make it stay put but uh, what, what about the ceiling like the ceiling in the back like behind the back hatch you know I, i've got so much down. stuff already crammed in, in my cargo area that um good lord when i pack to go camping it <laughs> there there isn't room to breathe in there let alone store anything else and at, at the moment my unfortunately my spare shaft is is riding around on the rear floorboard um behind oh. the, behind the seats which is yeah. not an ideal place for it so I, I, that's that's what got a clamp destroyed on on one of mine and then i went to pick it up one day to actually take it out of the vehicle because i was like daily driving it and didn't didn't need it and and i just left a big puddle of grease right <laughs> so i said right. you know that's the end of that um the one thing i did see and and this is more for our listeners benefit than i think you were you were i can use but um Someone had put it in a PVC pipe and bolted or somehow affixed that pipe uh, to uh, the the back of the frame cross member in the rear, you know, the rear most cross. I'm, I'm not articulating my words correctly right now, but uh, you know the spot I'm talking right. about, you know, basically sure. behind the rear bumper. And, and it was up and it was out of the way. And actually, you couldn't tell it was there, you know, unless you were the owner of the vehicle. You didn't know it was there. And... and uh, uh, that that was a, a brilliant spot you know of course i'm not really sure how he got it in and out i just saw the pictures and didn't really read the article but it was another cool idea i saw so we'll see we'll see yeah my my area there kind of got took up with my uh my air tank for my onboard air so that was... right which is i i gotta do that too i got the tank sitting here i've been blowing that off other than other than that i i I, I'm kind of excited about something that, that I want to take a minute to talk about, and it's semi-Toyota related, but not, not totally. Um, <laughs> over, the, uh, over the weekend, I had the opportunity to uh, 
I've been for a long time toyed with the idea of, of putting together some kind of an off-road trailer, um, more more of kind of a base camp trailer setup than than anything. But uh, my wife told me a long time ago that there is no way that I would ever get her in a rooftop tent. So it's something that that I've always kind of I've wanted to do, but just never. Uh, never pursued because of that and, and other reasons but uh over the weekend i i spotted a a small enclosed trailer at, at uh, a friend of my son actually had it and and just kind of randomly asked him what he uh what he was doing with it and and we got to chatting a little bit and he was hunting some stuff that i had and wasn't using and and ended up being able to trade him out of this out of this small trailer and i'm i'm really excited to uh to have this thing in hand and and kind of start uh putting plans together to uh to kind of put a my my version of a a, a base camp trailer or a or a off-road trailer together so um you folks that have listened for a while know the heartache that i've had with my car trailer over this past summer and that's that's not getting any better other it, 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 although i am gaining a little ground on getting it back usable again not not nearly as fast as i would like to but uh i i just wanted to mention that i i picked this little trailer up and and uh will probably occasionally be be discussing progress prop progress with it so well that's i'm actually looking forward to where you go with that because you know it's always nice to see a, a a blank canvas come up you know uh in in the in the collection and see what somebody can do um i've actually got a new trailer coming into my life too so <laughs> it's funny that we both uh that we're both coming into trailers in fact i should be picking mine up this weekend so it'll be uh you know well this uh this this one that i got it's 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 pretty small um it's it's going to be be pretty tight tight space to to do much of anything with but the the bonus to yeah, it yeah now i see wait i gotta stop you here because you're six foot 500 or something right so <laughs> you're a tall guy anyway you know the, our listeners can't see it but you, you know you're six foot something and and it's a six by four trailer so how are you gonna how are you gonna do that well <clears throat> my current plan is to get an ARB awning and then the room enclosure to add to the back of it to uh, it it has a swing out door on the back and uh, add that that ARB awning and and a room enclosure to kind of extend the length of it and then possibly make uh, some sort of a rudimentary slide to lengthen the the mattress out uh i i intend to to make a sleeping platform inside the trailer and then uh additional storage and that kind of stuff but uh i'll, I'll be honest with you rich i i haven't exactly figured <laughs> exactly figured that out yet so we'll uh we'll both probably find out at the same time or similar time how exactly that plan <laughs> ends up coming together one approach jason you could try is uh run the uh, six foot ARB awning off the side. Um, the four foot ARB awnings don't have a, a, a uh, you know, the, the awning room, 
which it, and, and the only reason I know this is because I was trying to, to get one. Um, the four foot, yeah, so the four foot ARB awnings don't have a room, but the six foot ones do. So if you ran it off the side, okay, that awning room has an inner door. So if you cut a door in the side of your trailer, you could um, just run the awning room, you know, and, and get in and out of the trailer that way, or don't even cut the door and just use the trailer for, you know, hauling all the gear and all the spare parts and tools. And then you can, you know, wheel with your rig real light and then just set up your camp and you've got all your stuff. Yeah, I, I've I've got a few ideas kind of kind of running through my head and, and I managed to get the thing drug home. And that's about as far as it went as far as uh, taking measurements or, or just kind of even trying to get a feel for it. Um, but uh, th- there are options out there that I'll I'll figure out some 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 way to make it work it uh like I said the the deal on the trailer was good enough that I can I can put a little effort into uh into making it uh 98% of what I want I guess so we'll uh we'll see how it comes together you you have no shortage of trailers you're, you I think you're you're now your trailer collection is approaching your Toyota collection it's getting very close yes <laughs> But uh, well, that's that's cool, though. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. And, and like I said, I know it's not 100 percent Toyota related, but I, I, we're I think we have a lot of listeners that uh, have have either went the trailer route. And if you have and, and you have ideas or suggestions of that kind of stuff, feel free to uh, feel free to reach out to me and and uh, let me know what you think and that kind of stuff. I'm I'm always open to suggestions and ideas and that kind of stuff so yeah i i think um I, one of them when i got my my first trailer um i started looking around on social media and on expedition portal and looking at other people's trailers and being like i like this i don't like that you know that would be a cool thing to have and and eventually i just got to the point where i said to myself i, I do not have the skills time or talent to turn my trailer into <laughs> everything I'm seeing. And so I eventually, you know, just, just made what I had work. And, and my old trailer was great. It was big and heavy, but it was, it was a great trailer. It wasn't even so much that it was heavy per se. It was a bit big, uh, for, for my vehicle. Uh, and that was a great trailer and I miss it every day. Um, uh, the new one is going to be lighter and smaller, but you know, that was the other thing too, is, I found that, you know, just much like a house, the bigger of a house you have, the more crap you tend to collect. Right. Um, you know, the same thing with a trailer, you know, um, when, when I had a decent sized trailer, I'm bringing the kitchen sink with me. We're camping for a week, you know, you know, six to eight days, uh, out with this trailer and we're not even using half the stuff that we threw in there that we thought we would want or thought we would use, you know? So it's just one of those, one of those weird, weird things. But, uh, it was definitely nice to be able to take a lot of weight out of the vehicle. And actually I had tube doors and it was cool where I could just, you know, uh, get to the camping spot, take my doors off, put the tube doors on, you know, cause with the FJ cruiser, no, no doors is a big pain in the ass. So, um, you know, it was nice that you could do that and you didn't have to carry all your tools, you know, worst case scenario, you just had to get yanked back to, to, to camp and then you could sort it out there, you know, so that, that was all nice about having a trailer. Um, but, but for the most part, uh, 
I think it is Toyota related because it is, you know, um, you know, a lot of people pull little camper trailers or off-road trailers and stuff with these, and I think they're gaining in popularity. And while they might not be Toyota branding, it is something we are using a Toyota to to pull all over the country. Well, and I I, I wanted to mention, you know, with with this one being so small, uh, th- that was another thing with with putting a trailer together. I, one of my one of my criteria was that I I wanted to be able to pull it with with any of my Toyotas, um, in, including my 86. And we, we've talked before, you know, about uh, the, the FJ Cruiser on 35s, unless you re-gear it being a bit under-geared. Um, if you've never driven a, a 22RE um, that hasn't been re-geared, you haven't, um, I'm sorry to say, but you, you haven't experienced underpowered. So uh, to to be able to pull something to be able to pull something with my eighty six, it's uh, it's not going to be able to add a lot of weight to it, and uh, that was uh, that's always been one of my <clears throat> pardon me one of my criteria is to be able to uh, to be able to pull whatever trailer you know I, when I when I decided to go that route um, to be able to pull it with any of my Toyotas in, including the eighty six so it uh, it'll fit the bill for that I'm sure. Yeah, I think the 86 will pull that no problem. But anyway, that's uh, that's all I've had going on other than uh, just uh, piddling with stuff here and there and, and uh, trying to uh, trying to get ready for a, a couple of, of upcoming events. So not too much else to talk about. What, uh, what events do you have? We, uh, uh, a couple of us from STLCA are headed down to... Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Yes, Southern Cruiser Crawl uh, down in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We we've mentioned that uh, over a couple of episodes here, and all the uh, all the plans finally came together, and I'm registered for the event. I will definitely be there. Um, as it turns out, initially I didn't uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to have a truck there, but the the uh, the gentleman I'm riding with has a uh, has a two car trailer, so. Uh, we're going to be loading his truck up and my truck up and and heading to Arkansas. So I will, not only will I be there, but I'll be able to wheel wheel the park myself, which I'm I'm very much looking looking forward to. So that sounds pretty fun. And um, <clears throat> I I now you're not going to get to make it out to Overland Expo East. Um, I'm going to try and make it out there though. That's that's actually later this week. I'm actually leaving. Oh, I have to pack my truck and get going. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I think this episode will be released by the time it's over. So uh, I am going to try and record some podcast content while I'm there. Um, it will be video content because uh, I cannot be trusted with audio, as we well know. <laughs> so uh, it may be live content, which, again, you know, might be might be released after this podcast is. So I'll try and go live on the um podcast page and if you hear this after the fact you may have to look back on it but i'm gonna i'm gonna see how that goes so should be fun and um we've actually got a couple more things coming on up uh here in the in the northeast we've we've got a little private thing going on where we're going to be exploring uh a, a portion of vermont which i'll have some some, some video and uh, commentary on so that that's pretty cool any other events coming up this this 
Uh, let's let's. I know there's a bunch of stuff coming in uh, up in October. So let's. How's September looking? I think September is pretty much almost done. Huh? Yeah, September is pretty much pretty much wrapped up. Um, nothing. Uh, nothing going on for me. Uh, I had to uh, to pass up on going on a wheeling trip um, this this past weekend uh, that I was in, invited to go on. I just I too many other things uh going on that needed it needed attention and uh, i would have would have really liked to have went down and hung out with those folks and and wheeled for a couple of days but just uh too many other things on the plate at the moment so but yeah october is going to be a very very busy month for me between uh southern cruiser crawl and then uh stlca annual annual meeting towards the end of uh towards the end of october so yeah yeah um, and October is a, a great time of year, I think, to get out and enjoy the outdoors just because things are cooling off. You know, the scenery is nice to look at. And, you know, it's not like you're, uh, you know, sweating out in the sun for, well, you know, at, at least in my region of the country. I don't know how I don't think it really changes too much in uh, in your neck of the woods. No, not not terribly. But we'll be we'll be over in East Tennessee. So we'll, we'll get to enjoy some of the fall foliage foliage however you however you say that <laughs> no you got it you you got it right foliage um well how is what's east tennessee so what's the difference between east and west tennessee is it like you know virginia and west virginia or is it you know well not not more? so much tennessee is is 500 little or right at 500 miles from from east to west so it's kind of divided up into three sections um west tennessee runs from Oh, Memphis to 80 or 100 miles east. Then Middle Tennessee runs from 100 miles into Tennessee to about 300 miles into Tennessee. And then East Tennessee is kind of 300 miles to 500 miles. So, mm. Well, folks, um, Rich, do, do we have anything else to add? Because we've got, got some other stuff to, to get to in this episode. So do we? We've got more stuff. More stuff more stuff oh gosh well we have an interview we have a, a spectacular interview actually we we have an awesome uh interview with uh with mike from from marlin crawler um i'm i'm hoping to be able to uh this is no diss to mike whatsoever um i'm, I'm hoping to be able to chat with marlin marlin a little bit at uh, southern cruiser crawl i know he'll be there hopefully mike will be there as well um Mike is is now president of of Marlin Crawler, and if you folks aren't familiar with with the company Marlin Crawler or Marlin himself, um, please take some time to uh, to look the guy up, and and you'll you'll learn a lot about him throughout this interview. Uh, Mike is very very proud of his dad and what uh, what he's accomplished over the years. Essentially, if you've ever used the word uh, rock crawling um marlin is is almost credited with uh kind of coining that 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 word itself um he is has been part of the toyota community for uh years um <laughs> i i know that's that's kind of vague but um super super active in in the more hardcore uh, off-roading side of of the toyota world uh 
not not only is is Marlon himself kind of legendary within the within the community, but his his first gen mini truck that he has wheeled for for years and years and years is uh, is almost as as legendary as he is. Um, I have never had a chance to meet Marlon myself, but uh, heard heard some fascinating stories about uh, about how the guy approaches the community and and things that he's done for the Toyota community, and and in in talking with Mike, um, he just uh, reassured that, that that that's that's just the way that his dad is, and uh, Mike is is very proud to to kind of be at the helm of of the company right now, and uh, very much looking forward to to moving into into the next phase of of what marlin crawler has in store for the community and rich and i have talked about it a lot that that the uh the ifs trucks are you know they're they're here to stay and marlin has always or, or uh, marlin crawler the, the company has always been kind of focused on on solid axle trucks and 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 that kind of stuff but with uh with time moving forward they are uh doing more uh r d on on the newer trucks the newer tacomas and forerunners and that kind of stuff and and getting uh getting to the point where they're they're offering some really amazing products and stuff for for those of us with uh with later model trucks as as well all right rich are are you familiar with marlin or or, or marlin crawler the, the the company at all i am a bit familiar with the products but not so much the company okay well, I, I feel bad you haven't got a chance to listen to uh, listen to this interview either. Um, I, I I hope you folks, and you as well, Rich, that that everybody enjoys the interview and and get something out of it. And uh, I need to uh, one say thank you to Mike for uh, for taking the time to to do the interview and also offer an apology. Um, this this interview probably should have been released. Um, an episode or two back, uh, Mike gave out some information on a uh, an event that that they do that the company puts on every year, kind of for Marlin's birthday. Um, that it takes place at the Rubicon out in California, and Mike took some time to talk about that and that kind of stuff. And and that that has already passed. It was this past weekend or the weekend before, and I I feel bad that I didn't get this interview out. Um, in time to uh to be ahead of that a little bit but um it, it's still good information the the event has been going on for a long time and i'm sure that they'll be doing it for many years to come so um if it if it sounds like something that you're interested in uh, be sure and pay attention to uh to the interview for that that bit of converse conversation and then look forward i mean it's it's right around marlin's birthday every year so it's right around this time of year every year so uh pay attention in, in the interview for that if, if like i said if it's something that uh, that you think you you might be interested interested in absolutely and i'm very interested in having a marlin crawler in my truck i've actually been something like that has been on the something i've been thinking about for uh, for a long time of course uh you know i'm uh, my problems are my own but maybe one day well since i uh since i converted mine to a five-speed it's definitely been something that's on my mind so <laughs> Uh, yeah it uh it would it would help my truck immensely but 
Yeah, probably. Um, a, a friend of mine had a Marlin. Um, I believe it was a lefty. But anyway, uh, he had a, a he had it in his FJ Cruiser. It was an automatic, and it was geared so low he would actually stall the truck. You believe that? Yeah, it's it's crazy the gearing that they can get in a transfer case. Um, yeah, I, and, and, and I was folks, shocked that that for for the people that aren't familiar with with Marlin Crawler, that's that's kind of the crux of what they do is is. Uh, kind of specialize in Toyota transfer cases and differentials and that kind of stuff. It's it's driveline component upgrades and, and lower gears uh, for transfer case and differentials and and that sort of thing. So um, we'll we'll quit talking about it and, and go ahead and, and get into this uh, this conversation with Mike. Okay, folks, joining me on the podcast right now, and, and Mike, you told me before we started recording how to pronounce your last name, and I hope I don't screw it up, um, Mr. Mike Chawaski uh, from Marlin Crawler. How bad did I butcher that, Mike? It was close. Um, <laughs> Chakovsky. Chakovsky. Uh, so, somehow I knew, even when I asked you, that I, I would get it wrong. I apologize, sir. Not a problem. Well, we... Uh, we're glad to, to, to have you on the podcast and here to to talk about a, a, a company that has played such a huge role in the, the Toyota off-road community for for many, many years. Um, Marlin Crawler. Uh, let's let's just jump jump right into this, Mike. Um, can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about about the history of, of the company and kind of how things got going and and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's it's kind of a a lengthy response to the loaded question. So I guess the real way to start to answer that would kind of have to be more or less the complete history of of Marlon and how he got involved. And I'll kind of be jumping around. A lot of it plays back with him uh, growing up when he was young. But he through through just to start, I guess with his affinity to cars and high, in high school and college, he was big into domestic cars and he had a, uh, 57, 210, uh, Chevy, a Bel Air and fixed it up, put in like a Muncie four speed transmission, did a lot of street racing with that. And then he got into, he was always doing a lot of backpacking. So he was always in the nature. I believe he climbed Mount, uh, I'm going to get this wrong again. Mount McKinley, which is the highest peak in the lower 48. Is it Whitney's up in Alaska? And McKinley is the one here in California, I believe, is the highest I mountain in the lower 48 I, states? I believe that's right, yes. So he hiked that when he was four years old. And he's been up it, whatever, a dozen times. So his family, big time outdoors. And it was kind of a, I don't know, poor family, hardworking family. But his, his dad, he would always kind of, talked down on his dad his um good family went to the military and my grandfather was a pilot a bomber pilot for world war ii and but he couldn't stand jokes would always uh, people would make fun of him for being Pol- for being polish and he would just tell his boss hey i can't can't take this anymore these guys got to go and the boss would say you're gone so he actually quit quit long time ago and just my grandmother would be the one working so it was tough growing up um 
So I guess in a way, automobiles was kind of Marlon's escape to get out from, you know, reality. And he loved cars, worked, taught everything he knows, you know, just kind of self-learned. And hmm, it's hard not to jump all around. Oh, you're 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 fine, but, sir. You're fine. Yeah, he he would work on cars through through high school. His parents sent him to a Christian high school, which was very you know it could have just gone to public school for free. But my grandmother worked very hard on her own. Grandpa didn't do anything. He was just he just stayed home and did nothing. And so he would. Uh, my dad had multiple newspaper routes and multiple lawn mowing routes and. There were times where he would come home and the power was off. And he's like, what's up? The power's out. And dad's like, yeah, we don't have money for the bill. So my dad actually, as just like a teenager, was actually paying for the electricity bill at times. It was pretty rough. So I I mention all this because they would go backpacking like at nighttime because you could get into a campground and park for free, right? When um, after hours, you don't have to pay. There's no uh, Iron Ranger or or you can just get in and, and just start hiking. So man, Marlon, he's got stories where night hiking, he knows how to look at the stars. He knows how to look at the trees and he knows what plants are edible. And man, he's, it's so, so cool to go. You know, there's so much when you go camping with Marlon, he can just talk and just tell you so many really awesome stories. So he, he's always had that love for the outdoors. And when he, when, when he moved to Fresno, he got into sand rails and he had a little uh, VW powered sand rail. He'd go over to Pismo, which are some dunes, kind of central California, popular for going out to the dunes there. And he always was sick and tired of sand getting into the crankcase, getting into the engine, the transaxle. He made some custom seal housings for the half shafts of uh, the VW transaxle he had on his sand rail. And he doubled up the seal. So he had two seals per axle shaft and he would still. You know, he'd be draining his oil and he'd still have sand in the in the engine or in the trans transfer case. I'm sorry, transaxle. So he was just sick and tired of all this sand. And so that's kind of where a lot of us get our feeling of, of going to the sand is just from stems from Marlin's complaints about going to the dunes and jumping it. You know, you see guys nowadays with Tacomas and stuff, they're out there doing that stuff, but that's why kind of we prefer to just stay in the mountains and do some rock crawling. But, um, he kind of just, you know, got tired of the sand rail life and was at church and saw a gray first gen, I believe it was an 83. And this would be in 1983. So it was like a brand new truck. And the guy had already, I don't know what he had done to it, lifted it slightly. Marlon got all excited. Uh, during the sermon, I think my dad walked out, put a note on the guy's door and said, man, I love your truck. Give me a call, Marlon. And that guy's name was Joe Beasley. And he was the first uh, Toyota truck friend Marlon ever had. And later that year in September, Marlon found a listing for a 1980 pickup down south in the Palmdale area. And that turned that that is the famous crawler truck. That's how he found the crawler truck. So he bought it September 18 of 1983. Um, came from an older lady who was, I think Marlon said she owned a farm. So she it was only highway miles. She just kind of drove it around, didn't do a whole lot with it. Uh, and it was never, according to her, it was never ever shifted in a four wheel drive. 
So Marlon kind of has uh, some pride there that he was the first one to ever shift the truck and you know to ever lock the hubs. Um, so he sold the sold the sand rail, got the pickup, and immediately became a California Drive member and a TLCA member. So he, you know he's been members of TLCA since 1983, and he still has his still has his 1983 membership plaque on the interior of the crawler trucks. It's pretty cool. Um, that is cool. So from there, you know, a lot of wheeling every, uh, I think he did Rubicon the very next year, the spring or summer of 84. And we've got photos of it. And, you know, everyone's on like 31 inch tires and they're going through the little sluice and, you know, the rocks, nothing, there's still dirt everywhere. Nothing's all washed out. But, yeah, back then, right? Everyone just had Land Cruisers and, of course, Jeeps. And so, uh, my Marlon would say mini trucks would be outnumbered thirty to one. You, he would go a whole weekend and never see another mini truck on the trail. And <clears throat> that was kind of nerve wracking to him because if he ever were to break down, there would never be anyone around with spare parts. So that's where Marlon got his start of this guy who always carries so many spare parts and it's a long bed, his truck's a long bed. So he's got a lot of room to carry stuff. And so he would do that initially just out of, I guess, concern for his own well-being that he might break down, make sure he's got everything covered. And then that turned into now a guy who has parts who can, who can rescue people on the trail. And he got his, in, in college, he got a technical arts degree and started his own, um, well, he first kind of kind of bouncing around. So I wanted to mention earlier when he was in high school, he would work on teachers' cars. And he would do that also to help raise money, to help pay family bills. And the teachers thought so much of Marlon that they actually wrote a letter to a Christian university in Northern California and the administration of his high school were able to get a full ride scholarship, a two year scholarship for Marlon to go to a prestigious Christian university. And so it was, it was really neat. He got to go there, even though he, they didn't have any money from his family, he was able to get a scholarship just based off of him being such a hard, hardworking outstanding young man. So really, really cool story there. And all through the university days, he would be working on people's cars, teachers' cars. And uh, he got his two-year degree and actually moved to Fresno to become a, um, he became a bus driver and worked for a Christian school here in, here in town, here in Fresno. And he did that for a few years before becoming a machinist. And he was a machinist for six years, I wanna say five or six years. And then it was after that when he, just doing enough side jobs on the side, working out of his garage, he just decided to start his own company called Marlins Automotive. And so that was in the late 80s, maybe 87, 88 was when Marlins Automotive started. And he, of course he had already had the crawler truck at the time, he was already out wheeling it. And so he was a member of a local TLCA club called Toys for Fun, and by far and wide, primarily a Land Cruiser uh, FJ40 club. There was only us plus 
the guy Joe Beasley and then another friend named James Atterbury. I think there were only initially three mini trucks, um, Hilux pickups in that club when we had joined, when my dad had joined it. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how we got to start with Toyota trucks. And he was always tinkering, always working, always trying to be the first person to have some new feature on his truck. And there, every, everyone back then, you know, there were no 48s, there were no 529s. So everyone had stock ring opinions. And then there also were no lockers, right? There was no Airbnb air locker. What was that? So this company invented a product called a Gleason locker, which was like a, like a lock, right locker. I think it was just a lunchbox type locker and Marlon had got his hands on one without telling anybody. And so we went up to a trail that's open year round here called bald mountain and Marlon was just kicking butt. He was climbing stuff and everyone was so amazed and wow, he's making it up all this stuff. And at the very top of this, uh, trail, there's a large granite exposed dome and, uh, it's got a fire lookout tower up there. So it's a nice place to stop and have lunch. And up there on the granite, he was making a U-turn and his tires are chirping, you know, trip, 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 turning around the corner. And everyone's like, man, what, what's wrong with your truck? You know, the truck's kind of bucking and it's not wanting to turn. And uh, that was when people discovered Marlon had installed some device called a locker. And, uh, <laughs> the joke was, was, you know, the fish was out of the cat was out of the bag at that point. Um, but always early on, always tinkering. He, I, I think the first thing he did was the Marlink and that was where, uh, the factory mini truck has small 19 millimeter tie rod ends and the FJ 80 Land Cruiser has much larger 23 millimeter tie rod ends. And so Marlin made, made it where we can use the 23 millimeter larger diameter tie rod ends on a mini truck pickup. And we called that the Marlink. And that's kind of, that might've been what started it. Um, he had already made a welder. He made his own welder. This is before, uh, you know, um, Premier, Premier Power Welder and, and Link Arc, those companies didn't exist at the time. And Marlon just thought, man, it'd be great if I could just weld up on the trail. And so he, man, he just taught himself how, <clears throat> how to take it, you know, how to leverage a uh, alternator and turn it into a welder. And so back then, of course, <clears throat> nobody had welders in their truck. And he's got this story where he was on the Rubicon coming up to a spot just past the bull and there's a bunch of traffic and apparently a Jeep had broke down. I don't recall what happened. He had ripped, he ripped something off his frame, like one of his links off the front suspension. And so Marlon, you know, <clears throat> get out, walked up the trail, see what's going on. And the guys all upset his Jeeps broke down and Marlon's like, Oh, I can fix this. I got a welder. And the guy's like, what? You got a welder? And my dad, Marlon's like, yeah, no problem. Let me, let me go back. I'll come up. And so Marlon went back to his truck and made his way up the trail around people. And when the guy saw that it was a little red Toyota pickup, the guy says, get that Jap tin can out of here. Ah, I don't want you to work on my truck. Ah. Just totally, you know, dogging Marlon for having a Toyota. And Marlon's just like, all right, see ya. <laughs> just drove away. The guy was, you know, it's a Jeep thing. Some, some people, some people just, man. Those are the days, you know. Um, 
Well, I, I sadly, so, I, I, I have to admit that I, I wasn't a Jeep guy. I was, uh, when it, when I got into Wheeling years ago, I was a diehard Ford guy. And I didn't have uh, the, uh, the, the best outlook on, on imports myself. But uh, thankfully, somewhere th- through the years, I, I wised up and, and seen the error in my ways. So, <laughs> Well, uh, the fact that Marlon started off with GM and then had become a general automotive mechanic really, in my opinion, excuse me, is what got the um, respect from Jeep owners or Chevy Blazer owners for the Broncos, right? International scouts or yes, scouts is that many times we, you know, we would truck, there would be traffic on the trail. Mine would walk up front and a guy has got like a Buick V6, uh, swap in his Jeep or something and it's not running. <clears throat> and Marlon's like, Oh, well look at this. Oh, I see here. You got a hallway with other code builder. Oh yeah. Look at this vacuum lines on wrong. And Oh, let me just, and then boom, 10 minutes go by the thing fires right up. And so it's, it's, you know, that was a unique aspect of like, well, here's this guy with an import Toyota yet. He seems to know a lot about the domestic, uh, everything, domestic transmissions, uh, axles. So that, I think that played definitely played a very large role and we have a tremendous, a lot of respect from people in the, in the Jeep community. Um, <clears throat> California drive were very well known throughout that organization, despite primarily those are Jeep owners. Uh, the first time I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the trails known as the hammers. Yes. Yes. So that started off by a club in Victor Valley, I believe, called the Victor Valley Four Wheelers. And they there was just a dry lake bed, means dry lake bed, and they, I don't really exactly know how it all started, but I believe they were just out there camping and decided, hey, look at this, let's just try driving up there. And they went out and drove up this canyon and just beat the crap out of their out of their Jeeps. And when they, came, when they had come back home, um, according to, I guess, according to legend, uh, one of the guy's wives said, oh my gosh, it looks like you took a sledgehammer to your Jeep. And that's how the first trail got its name, Sledgehammer. So I, I could be wrong. I, I've heard that story uh, repeated. So that's that's where that's coming from. But uh, the second trail that they started was called Jackhammer. And the same weekend that they were blazing or I guess creating the trail, Marlon had taken his brother and they had driven it's about a six hour drive and i guess back then speed limit was only 55 miles per hour on the highways and we only had the carbureted uh, 20r motor (laughs) and driving down there six hour drive and it's just one guy in his toyota you know no you know he had to bring all his spare parts and he he's gone he's heard about this place called the hammer so he just drove down there to check it out and he got into the area where people camp and they're like, and Marlon says, Hey, what's going on? You know, I'm from, from Fresno and just came down here to check it out. Where's everybody out? And they said, Oh, they're up there blazing some trail. And Marlon's like, okay. And he hopped in his truck and just took off. And now this was in 95. So the Marlon crawler, uh, had already come out and Marlon went up the trail where they were working and just went right on up the trail and just caught up to the back of them, to the back of the group. 
and they were shocked. They're like, what are you doing here? You know, you've got this Toyota and it's a long wheelbase and are you out of your mind? And Marlon said, yeah, hey, how's it going? My name's Marlon from Fresno. From Fresno, it's like six hours away, crazy. But we, uh, that was the first time a Toyota truck had ever gone up uh, Jackhammer. So it's pretty cool. That's a pretty famous trail down there. And the crawler truck was the first Toyota to ever make it up. And immediately, you know, the respect that Marlon got, because here these guys have all their Jeeps that are highly modified and they're struggling and they're throwing rocks. And, uh, you know, because we've got the low gearing now in the, in the Toyota truck, he just, just, uh, snaked his way right up the trail. Um, so just a lot of stories like that with the, you know, Jeep guys where, you know, I don't know if it's so much a thing over there, but here it's, you know, you, you see a lot of the, oh, it's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand. But for us, it's let's get out of the city. Let's go camping. Let's, I mean, nowadays it's like, let's turn off your cell phones and get off social media. And that's what it's all about. Um, you know, I guess nowadays it's just to unplug, to unwind. And I don't, you know, we've never, never looked down on other vehicles. If you've got a Jeep, if you've got some modified Subaru Brat, let, let's go. Let's go wheel them. Let's just, that's what it's all about, right? We, uh, there, there's always, and I'm sure it's the same with you. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, I don't want to speak for, for anybody else. There's a lot of, of good hearted ribbing that goes on between, between brands, but, uh, at least with the guys that that I wheel with on a regular basis, we're we're like you. It's uh, it's about getting out and enjoying the hobby that that we love, and it doesn't necessarily matter what uh, what brand of vehicle you choose to do it in. We we all give each other a hard yep. time, but uh, for that matter, we give each other a hard time even within you know the different uh, different variations within the Toyota community. But it's still still just about getting out and, and enjoying what we enjoy doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, when Marlon, Marlon's automotive was, was in full swing and in the, uh, early nineties, 93, 94, um, just before the mid nineties, I suppose Marlon was continuing, continuing to improve on his truck, crawling under it, trying to wonder what, what he can do next. And that was when he figured out the uh, transfer case that's pretty unique to a Toyota truck in that the front housing alone contains the low neutral high or the low range components of the T-case. And there is one other uh, transfer case. It's the um, NP203, I believe. It's an, it's an all-wheel, a full-time four-wheel drive, but I think that has a planetary in it, if I'm not mistaken. So other transfer cases you know you look at like a like a uh, chain drive t case or a split case off a land cruiser you don't just have a separate you, you can't just take the front housing on a, on a chain drive it is true that there's a planetary in the front housing but the front housing also has the uh, attachment for the front driveline component so the whole the whole housing is is part of the entire t case so you couldn't just simply adapt that and make make a dual transfer case. And so the mini truck T case, you can. And so by taking that front housing that has the low range and figuring out how can I then move that 
and put it in front of another tea case. And when you can make an adapter, get the correct bolt patterns, figure out a uh, coupler in there so that you can have one input connecting into the back of this, uh, of this device, then uh, you have, of course, what today, you know, Marlon calls a dual transfer case. And that's kind of a misnomer. It's, it's not really two transfer cases. We don't have uh, four drive lines, but this is a dual case. And Marlon had this famous slogan that was, don't gear down, double up. And uh, it took your truck from a 40, well, if you had 529s, you'd go from a 47 to one to 108 to one instantly. And when you look at what is known as rock crawling, I firmly believe that term was coined, was created by Marlin. I think we could have easily trademarked that term. If you go back to the, to the eighties, we were wheeling in the eighties. No one ever said, Hey, let's go rock crawling. They'd say, Hey, let's go, let's go wheeling. Let's go trail riding. Um, well, I did a, a, uh, thread on our forum once and someone found some article back in, I think it was the late seventies where, uh, some Jeep guys had used the term in one article. It said, you know, Ron and Larry went up to go rock crawling. And so we, we can't, <clears throat> can't specifically say we in, invented the, the, that name, I suppose. Cause I mean, they're just two words thrown together, but the actual term of rock crawling uh, we like to use the classic definition that uh, Peterson four wheel drive and owner magazine or Peterson's magazine wrote an article about rock climbing, rock crawling. And they, they analyze what it means, what qualifies to be a rock crawler. And they wrote it out where if you're an automatic, you need to be 70 to one or lower as a final drive gear ratio to be considered a crawl ratio or if you're a stick shift it needs to be i think it was 85 or 90 to one or lower so before the marlin crawler came out it was it was either impossible or completely impractical to get anywhere near 90 to one um the the lowest possible for for a toyota truck would have been a strange combination of using a, a turbo um, R151F transmission with a um, 4.31 first gear, uh, 571 ring pinions, and maybe somehow adapt that to a chain drive T case for a 2.57 to one ratio. You're only looking at like a 58 to one, and you've you've done all that weird work, and you're not even you're not even you're not even halfway pretty much. So, uh, you know, and, and our product alone will take you at to a, over 100 to one, which is our basics which is the first step of a Marlin crawler, just a dual case. So that's where I firmly believe there was no such thing as rock crawling prior to April of 94 when Marlin figured this out and um, got the dual case to go in a Toyota truck. And then, of course, with Jeeps, you can't, you can't stack stuff because, especially back then, what was a common Jeep? You know, you got like the, in, the, uh, the military, the wheelies, or you've got like a CJ5. Not many people were willing CJ sevens as I remember, but your wheelbase is just way too short. There was no four door JK. Now, of course, they're the much longer wheelbase, but you can't, you can't do it. And then you try putting in a 350 and a what a SM 420, and now your drive drivetrain is so long. Yeah, you've got a nice seven to one first gear, but you could never run dual T cases in a Jeep. So um, Marlon, you know, he went 108 to one, and then 
the next year he came out with this 4.7 to one gear ratio in 95, but they weren't, uh, he didn't sell them until 97. It was working out the bugs and trying to get a gear cutter to manufacture these. Um, you know, speaking about gears, there, there is a story in the early nineties before the monocrawler, there was a guy, I don't remember his name. I don't even remember where he was from, but he was out of California who made like a three point, uh, I don't even know a 3.2 to one, uh, TK skier for the mini truck. And he said, Oh, this is the lowest gear possible. I've done all the math and you can never get any lower. And man, my dad saved up. It was like two grand or something for this gear set. And we put that in there and, you know, we became like a, whatever it was, a 60 to one with this gear set. And then like two or three years later, uh, Marlon makes a 4.7. The guy, I remember Marlon complaining about all the money he wasted. And it was like a couple other club members went in on this and, Oh man, what that guy, that guy totally lied to us. And I remember my dad, you know, talking, ah, that guy, uh, you know, that wasn't even anything. It was only like a, you know, 15% reduction or whatever it was. It was, it was not even worth the money spent. So once the four sevens came out in 97, um, or I mean, Marlon had him in 95, you know, now he's a two twenty three to one. And then he actually put in triple cases, which he still has today, but he put in triple cases with triple with three, four sevens. And he was 2,200 something. I, I don't have that number oh, number mem- memorized, but over 2000 to one. Wow. He never went wheeling with it. Uh, he only backed it out of the shop, and it was just so stupid slow. It was, you know, he he just dropped the T cases and put back uh, a stock a two point two eight gear. Um, I mean, we we need the two two eight so we can demonstrate what the product can do. We need that stock that stock low range where you can put the Marlin crawler in high range, which is one to one torque goes in and out at the same rate, and then shift the other gear, the other low range into two to eight, which is the factory gearing. And then I can, you know, your truck can be just like any other truck factory two to eight with a 47 to one final drive or, you know, 36 to one, if your truck still has 410 ring opinions. Um, and then, so we can demonstrate that we can say, okay, look, here's, here's factory and the truck's really fast or it's bouncy. And, you know, you can hit the brakes with it in gear and just immediately stall out the engine without, without applying any throttle, right? You're just kill it. But then you engage the four seven and now you've got a compound 10.7 to one, two to eight times 4.7. And, you know, imagine a 10.7 to one T case ratio and it's all selectable. And so that's just really, uh, that's what really in Marlin, you mentioned this, this earlier when we, when we were uh, warming up for this, that Marlin had a slogan and, We've got it. I, I added it to our about page. It says he wanted to put Toyotas on the map and he wanted to get respect for Toyotas. And that kind of goes back to when Marlon would, would talk about how outnumbered he was, where Jeeps were 30 to one Jeeps compared to Toyotas. And nowadays you go to Rubicon, you can see more Toyotas than, than you see Jeeps. I would say it's 50, 50. Um, you see a big group of Jeeps and then an hour later, a big group of Toyotas will roll by. So it's pretty amazing that we can just gear down like that and have a lot more control and traction, reaction time, torque. We don't have to rev it. Um, you know, we all had carbureted motors back in the eighties and mentioning how Marlin carries so many spare parts. 
they would even carry a clutch disc because, I mean, I, did you did you start your wheeling with Land Cruisers with an FJ40? Uh, no, my my life with Toyota started with a a first gen four runner, so the the okay twenty two RE and eighty four. Uh, no, mine, e, fuel injected. Okay, mine, mine was an eighty six. So okay, so you still struggled from not a whole lot of torque, and us even more so with a two point two liter, the twenty R carbureted with only a four speed transmission, right, and. Um, so we would just be having to rev to get any torque out and slip the clutch and you're smoking your clutch and we would actually change out the disc. We would drop the transmission and cause pe- people would just smoke and fry their clutch on the trail. And we, Marlon would bring spare discs and we would literally drop the transmission and replace just, just a disc. He would, you know, from, from doing jobs in his shop, he would keep old used discs that had life left in, in them because yeah, it's a good trail spare. It'll at least get you home. Uh, but, you know, nowadays you've got everyone coming out of high school and they just get a Toyota truck and, bam, they put in a dual case. And they just don't uh, – I mean, I guess I can talk this way. Of course, I'm in a unique situation where I was raised around this stuff, but Marlon's the one who needs to – talk you know give this account because i was just a little kid but i remember though having to drive and i learned stick shift in the crawler truck and it was just a lot of clutch slipping and now we've got the low gears and it's just easy you just point and shoot you get your foot off the clutch pedal you can go so slow it almost feels like man people have it have it made <laughs> everyone's spoiled these days because of the model crawler you know, I, I, w- years ago, I, I ended up changing changing direct directions with my my first gen and and not making a crawler out of it. But years ago, when I was uh, when my goal was to to make a crawler out of it, I was talking to a, as many people as I could to to get opinions on what what I needed to do and and what. Uh, what some good good upgrades were and that kind of stuff and and everybody told me uh the the first thing you need to do is invest in in a marlin crawler uh double t case setup um <clears throat> that that would be the the most at you know over and above lift over and above you know um fancy suspension or or anything of the sort that that dual t case and and having those additional gears uh, or options for gear gearing would be the most absolutely most be- beneficial thing up front so it it's something that uh that i've never you know i, I don't personally have that set up but i've been definitely been a lot around a lot of trucks that that do have it and have seen uh firsthand how much that how much that gearing plays into it mm. yeah it's not it's not for everyone but what is great is that it can be disengaged and it's just there whenever it's needed um that that's a really really great selling point of it one one thing that i'd that i'd like to ask you when when marlin was was developing this this stuff when when he was coming up with these ideas and and and, you know adapting this stuff to to his mini truck um did he was his vision for this t- 
to be a product line uh, initially, or did it kind of morph into that? Was he doing it more for uh, just initially for his for his own for his own truck and for his own use, and then it kind of it kind of grew from there? Or do, do you know what was was his intention to to make it available to to uh, to the entire community? No, his intention was to manufacture it. And so the first Marlin crawler was 12 and a half or 12 inches long. We call it the MC-01. And he went to advanced adapters, right? You heard of advanced adapters? Sure, sure. And they're a company out of Paso Robles, so they're only about two hours uh, southwest of us. And they do castings, and they also cut gears and that's the gear cutter we initially used was AA's gear cutter who was over in I, I believe West Virginia and Marlon has actually driven the crawler truck to West Virginia to actually meet the gear cutter um, but yeah he it was it was he had his automotive business going and in 94 when he came out with the MC01 it was, he made a few iterations on it. There, after that was an MC-03, and then after that was the MC-05. And that came out in 97. And at that time, the company had, Marlon Crawler, he had so many sales for this product, he was able to start his actual, you know, the company of Marlon Crawler was outdoing the, the company of Marlon's Automotive. And, you know, the two were kind of getting in the way of each other. You know, he'd have a, customer like a, you name it, like a Dodge, uh, whatever, town and country something car in there and and up on the lift and here he's got a mini truck coming in. <laughs> he's doing TK's work and he's got his other mechanics trying to do like tune-ups on just ordinary cars. So uh, the Marlins Automotive moved into the shop right next door to us and then Marlon, the whole, the whole space there, 3,500 square foot just became just became rock crawling. And uh, that, that move happened in 97. Very. So yeah, I would say it was to, to manu to, to, cause he wanted, he wanted to get respect for Toyotas and we've got a smaller frame or a thinner frame. And I believe also thinner sheet metal on the body panels compared to a length to an FJ 40. And we would even get teased by 40 owners because we're a long wheelbase. We don't have any torque and our frames weak. You know, when Toyota came out with the Hilux, they branded it as the son of the Land Cruiser, but it was, you know, a, a light duty truck. It was lighter than a Land Cruiser. Um, the frame was not as strong and, you know, TLCA eventually allowed mini trucks to be part of because it used to be you had to have a Land Cruiser, I believe, was a requirement to become a member of TLCA. Right. And there was a lot of backlash when they decided to, you know, we've got this mini truck on the market. We could increase some membership here. Why don't we allow these guys to participate? And there was a lot of backlash from stories I've heard um, where they a lot of the kind of diehard old school Land Cruiser guys did not want anything to do with mini trucks. We, um, we we just had a guest so, on yeah. just had a, a guest on the podcast that that talked about that when when all that tran, transpired you know that that huh. TL, TLCA uh, 
not not the organization as a whole, but there was definitely some diehard Land Cruiser guys that that didn't want any didn't want any part of of just the 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 straight Toyota four wheel drive uh, <clears throat> situation. But uh, thankfully, they they made the vote and ended up moving in that direct direction. Even though it's it's in my opinion still been a little bit slow to uh, slow to adapt, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely mm-hmm. a definitely a step in the right direction um yeah i agree mike moving on a little bit there there is so much so much that i i want to talk to you about and and like you said that that uh marlon himself and and the company has such a a long history um the the company is growing far far beyond just the the uh the transfer case adapters and that kind of stuff could you uh, could you take just a, a few minutes to kind of talk about where where Marlin Crawler as a company is at right now as far as other products that, that you guys carry and and that kind of stuff? Sure. So probably a good way to explain this would be a overall view of the of the foundations or of the beginnings of the whole mini truck rock crawling off-road industry from our, from, from the rock crawling spectrum. And it would be that, you know, Marlin came out with the transfer case products and that was like the core. That's what started the rock crawling with mini trucks. And then you had John Bundren of all pro off-road. He started doing, uh, leaf spring lift kits and bumpers and also a high steer steering setup, which at the time had not been done um, commercially available. So you've, you've got Marlon Crawler, you've got All Pro, you've got uh, front front range off road. You've got Brian Ellinger there. He was doing the twin sticks. He had his um, really cool cross member. This is, I mean, there was no bud built. This this was the the cool cross member to use was the front range off road cross member. And then you had another company called AOR, Advanced Off-Road Research out of Colorado. And they were doing links. They had a four link kits, three link kits. Um, they created the Orbit Eye, if you've ever heard of a spring manufacturer called Alcan. Oh, and that absolutely. was created by Kevin, the owner of AOR. I'm sorry? I, I just, uh, pardon me, agreeing that yes, I'd, I'd heard of Alcan. So go, uh, go okay. ahead. So, um, and this was before there, there was no long field Bobby, maybe Bobby was already wheeling Toyota trucks, but we already had the Marfield and the, and the Marfield was the king of, of axles, Marlin, you know, that was the next thing to start breaking was, you know, after we started running 33s and 35s, people were breaking, breaking Burfield joints. So Marlin began TIG welding to the very end of the bell of a Burfield. And that became known as the Marfield, the world's first heavy duty Burfield. And then we began using heat-treated rings, and then we would take weld those heat-treated rings on. And there were a lot of issues with that where some would be really good. Some are still in use today. We've had people on the trail still roll up and say, ah, man, I still got your Marfields in here. Uh, where we were only like a two-man at time, a two-man show. Um, and Marlon was taking phone orders while also trying to manufacture products. And so you would be TIG weld and the phone would ring, you have to stop, take a phone call. And the phone call could go a half hour. <clears throat> then you come back to your to your joint and the joint's cooled down. Now you gotta heat it back up so you're ruining the you know, you're tempering it over and over. 
So it's going to become more brittle. So we would have uh, mar fields that would only make it like one trail or mar fields that would last a long time. Eventually, a company did make a completely 100% brand new manufactured, and that's where uh, Bobby Long, um, that's where the Long Field came from. But you've got like these these core companies, and it, what's what's unique about I think, or was unique about this industry is that everybody were was just hobbyists. One guy sitting at a campfire, maybe he's kicking his tires, looking around, and he thinks, "Man, I could, you know, what if I do something here with the steering, or man, if we could do something with these leaf springs." And then poof, All Pro was created, and then and then poof. Um, front range off road thought, Oh man, why don't we do this? And you know, these smart and clever, just hobbyist guys. And none of, none of these people are like business majors or, uh, as far as I know, you know, mechanical engineers with prestigious degrees and all this kind of stuff. They're just a bunch of backyard people who love to go wheel and love their Toyota. Same with Marlon. He just had a basic two year technical arts degree. He just figured out a way to do this. Um, so that kind of, everyone had their own unique product to offer to the industry and everyone knew everybody and everybody respected everyone. Everyone was friends. No one stepped on anyone's toes. Uh, that was, that's kind of how just the whole industry was started. Um, then we, we had this guy who all pro was, was also small like us. I think it was just John plus one or two other guys and all pro hired this guy who came in and it was kind of the first real business savvy guy. And he saw the opportunity to really do a lot of, to, to expand the product line. And so all pro, you know, they immediately started doing all kinds of stuff, um, shock hoops and brackets and, and everything under the sun you can think of. And, you know, all pro turned into a very large successful company. And then that guy moved along and he actually worked for us for a while. And, our product line, you know, as, as you said, we were mainly transfer case, but Marlon has a differential where through all the years, he was even uh, setting up ring and pinions, I believe as a teenager. So he's been doing differentials for a very long time. And I don't know what he's doing with the preloading and the backlash. I've never set up a differential. That's the, that's the one thing that I've not learned out of all of our products is to set up a diff. And it's, it's just because Marlon has this unique setup whatever he's doing where we never have, it's very rare to have a return on our differential. We've got a very strong reputation for our ring opinions. And there's only two people, Marlon and Rocky are eldest or our most senior employee who we've had with us since 2000. Um, those are the only two people who even know how to build the differential, a differential, the Marlon way. Um, so we had that famous, aspect going and of course Marlon was also doing his transmissions so but primarily only with the drivetrain components there um when this guy came to work for us then you know we started getting lease springs and we we contacted bets which is an american spring manufacturer that used to be out of san leandro out of the bay area in california now they actually have relocated to fresno they're they're right here in our town and so we were selling the lease springs and then we um got a fabricator and we're making body armor and shock hoops and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where we expanded to get involved with those other product lines that we previously were not, were not a part of. And that guy then moved on and did other things, but we've just slowly been building off of, off of that expansion. And 
just making our own unique contributions to where we see we we have a need for you know a product and industry that's not being met by anybody else then we will you know put our minds together and come up with a solution for it um so one thing i guess for the future would be you know of course i think having some sort of product um diversity would be a good thing and having components available for on-road vehicles. And so we've got our, our clutches for that. We've got our transmissions for that, the differentials. There's, you know, every now and then we've got issues with a lot of environmentalists over here and there we've had trails shut down in the past where we really love to go. And actually our favorite trail of all time is called Panamint Valley. And we used to winch up seven consecutive waterfalls and get to this abandoned um, mining town called Surprise, uh, called Panamint City within a canyon known as Surprise Canyon. And this is adjacent to Death Valley. It's a mountain range called the Panamint, Panamint Valley, right next to Death Valley. And Marlin, it was originally a TLCA event called Panamint Valley Days by TLCA. And then I don't know the the history on it, but now it's a Calful Drive event. I guess TLCA passed that off to Calful Drive. So PVD Pennant Valley Day still exists, but it's uh, done through Calful Drive. And the whole heart of it was this one trail called, um, you know, Surprise Surprise Canyon. And Marlon loved the trail so much that uh, he read up on the entire history of it. And uh, there was a famous outlaw who escaped uh the you know escaped police and broke out of jail and this is like in the 1900s and ran up this valley trying to trying to hide and discovered their silver up in there and then uh you know back in like all the mining booms and all this kind of stuff the whole little city there was formed and they had an actual post office and a saloon and and restaurants and everything with an actual i'm, I'm sure a dirt road leading up the canyon but the canyons are very steep weather conditions can be quite harsh uh, flash flooding and stuff like that in the desert and so rocks would come down mess up the whole road meanwhile the silver was running out and so you know it's it's a, it's a economics decision should we continue to invest in this road when there's less and less ore to be profitable here and so everything just kind of fell to derelict and um the road just was no longer maintained but this is an actual county road that goes back on trail maps back into the 1800s so it's over a, a century of actual maps uh, of of documented road and in 19 in the in the late 90s we were having issues with this miner who who owned a house at the mouth or the entrance to this canyon and he was still up there doing his little claim and you know panning and everything and he would use the the water that runs down the canyon that we're and we're literally in the waterfall winching up um they're not super tall the the biggest winch hill would be winch hill number two it was about the length of two trucks all the others weren't weren't as long but uh certainly impassable even by today's standards with water i don't even think an ultra four I, it, I don't think you could get up it without a winch um well this guy does like his mining and he's complaining that we're stirring up all this soot through the water and his uh 
place where he used to wash his clothes in front of his house, which used to be X number of feet deep, is now only Y number of feet deep. And so he starts complaining to the BLM, the rural, uh, the Department for Land Management, and all these issues, and gets all these environmentalists involved. And this is really the, in kind of kind of this is kind of the first trail that that we actually lost that got shut down and and got under the microscope. And they did soil sample testing and I. As far as I know, those came back negative, um, but there were some factors there, and I'm kind of going off off topic here, but there was a rare bacteria that only grew in the entire world off of, it was off the trail, off the side. We don't even drive there. Then beyond the city, there was a monarch butterfly sanctuary, but again, the road doesn't even go there. But of course, you know, you tell this to some someone who's trying to protect you know, protect natural resources and they don't want anyone back in there. It's just a long story. We lost another trail outside of Palmdale, California in the Lancaster area um, near a dam. Toad, frog, I can't think of the of the dam's name, but San, Santiago's Revenge and Santiago's Canyon. This was a fun little trail that followed a river up, up a canyon, but there was an Indian burial ground or a famous historic Indian site back up in there and it got shut down on those grounds, you know, on, on because of that. But um, those were kind of the, the early ongoing issues we've had with environmentalists. So we, as a community, we've gotten a lot smarter. We've gotten a lot wiser. We've been trying to educate and promote. And that's why I think clubs are very important and Facebook stuff. You know, you've got all these groups and people just meeting on Facebook, social media. It's, it's a little concerning growing up as someone who was very active in clubs. Um, at one point we were members of nine different clubs, including, uh, G Smitter. We used to go back to G Smitter and I've got a really fun story about, about that. Uh, Marlon's driven there, I believe twice. And we were members of the club who, uh, who's, I don't know the, the club over there, but the, the Gilmore mountain ring, is that what it's called over there? Uh, STLCA is the, the club and it, Years ago, uh, pardon me. That's actually the club that I'm I'm VP of. Um, G Smitter mm-hmm. used to be held at okay. Teleco, uh, and until Teleco was closed um, ten or twelve years ago, uh, we we've moved to a private private park now. But it used to be at uh, used to be at Teleco, if that's what you're referring to. Okay, yeah, I've heard the name Teleco. Uh, it was the Great Smoky Mountain Trail Ride. G Smitter is what. Marlon is kind of how we call it. Yep. And Marlon used to be a member of then STLCA. Okay, cool. S-L-C-A, Southern Total Land Cruiser Association. Yep. So- he was so- a member Southeast of Southeast Total Land Cruiser Association. Yep. Oh, okay. And then we were, he was members of a club out of the Vegas area. Um, just clubs. He, he just liked to support the community. And, uh, you know, that's a major part of what we do is community support. But, clubs and, and educating I think that's that's highly important and and so we see a lot more um, a lot more what's the word I'm looking for people who are conscious with resources and they're not driving out into meadows and they're respecting trail signs and you know you always have a bad apple I'm sure you guys have those over there and Someone posts a photo, oh, look at my truck, and they're, they're flexing out their truck out in the meadow. Well, that doesn't go over well at all here in California. So 
um, product diversity and a fear, I suppose, of losing trails. And then we had an issue of, uh, that we've been battling for a few years where they were going to make a monument out of our mountain range in the Sierra Nevadas. And if, you know, if they make that registered as a national monument, well, let's just say, and I, I could, this could, could be complete speculation. <laughs> it is. But let's say there's some terrorist attack on some monument, whatever, anywhere. Well, you know, it only takes just like one decision to just say, okay, you know, for the safety and consideration of the of the citizens of the country, uh, effective immediately, monuments countrywide are shut down, yada, yada. Well, that would include then our our trails. We've got 12 trails, a dozen trails here where we go for ruin right outside of Fresno. Um, it would just take one pinstroke then if that became a registered national monument. So we've been fighting that and it was actually just earlier this year, we finally got it um, thrown out or turned down or, or we, we convinced the right people and it's it's now not going to become a, a national monument. But those kind of things, looking forward as a company, those are always on your mind. And you know, at, at the end of the day, four-wheeling is a, it's a privilege it's it's a hobby. You don't have to go for wheeling to survive. So people go for wheeling because they they have the the extra resources to to own a truck, to modify the truck, to to be able to leave the city to pay for gas. Um, you take that away, what's left then for the off road industry? What's left then for companies who who manufacture off road parts if there's no more off road off road use? So uh, SEMA. SEMA organization, they're they're dealing with this thing. I think it might only be for California. I hope it's not nationwide, but they're trying to make it to where it's illegal to modify a car meant for road use to be modified for track use. And I mean that there's a slippery slope. Okay, let's say they make that illegal so that and that kind of applies to me. And my my other love is a Toyota MR2. I've got a little supercharged MR2 with a Lotus six-speed transmission in there, and I go to the track a lot with it. Well, that would become illegal because it's a—it's not a track car. It's a—it's a commercial road-going car, and that could be deemed illegal for track use. Well, that's just one step away from, say, a FJ Cruiser being a road-going vehicle. Well, what if they just declare all off-road use? What if um? Baja 1000, a humongous thing occurs and a bunch of people will get killed, let's say, in an unfortunate event. And then some someone in the legislator says, oh, man, off-road's just horrible. Yeah, there's, there's always just those kind of, of kind of thoughts. It's always a battle, always trying to keep the interests around. And again, just going back to clubs, we need to keep people educated. We need to keep people taking care of what, of what we have. It's It's kind of sad to where we have it should be you know it's public land so you'd think public land should be used should be available for the public but you know it's it's a it's a constant battle we pardon me that that has always been kind of the the goal of the podcast here is just to, to have another platform to educate the community and to bring the mm-hmm. to to bring the community together, and and uh, my co co-host and I tend to get a little goofy at times, and and that kind of stuff. But having having folks like you on kind of brings us back to uh, brings us back to a little little seriousness. But that's that that's 
always always been my goal with the, with the podcast is it, you bring up a lot of great points that uh, we need to uh, to hold together as a, a, a community and need to be aware of of, of uh, the 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 threats that are are against us. You know, we had, we had mentioned teleco a, a little bit ago. Um, teleco gets brought up a lot on on the podcast part partly because it's it's relatively close to or was relatively close to to where i'm at and unfortunately i never had the opportunity to to wheel teleco and that's one of them situations where it was it was open one day and closed the next and you know the 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 battle ensued for years to get it get it open back up and and in in the end it was it, it was a lost battle but uh I, I don't want. I don't want to say that people were uneducated about it because it, uh, there were a lot of people involved in in obviously trying to save Teleco. But those battles are going on all over the country, and uh, mm-hmm. people definitely need to be aware of that. And, and if you if you enjoy the hobby that that you know enough to listen to this podcast, then en- enjoy the hobby enough to be involved in it. Like you said, clubs are a great way to. Uh, a great way to be involved and as with with anything else there's there's strength in numbers and mm-hmm. you, you yep. have you have to be part of something to be counted and a, a club is a, a great way to uh a great way to be a part of something and and add add to those numbers so the way i view clubs is that it gives the younger the younger audience or the younger members of of the off-road community a chance to mingle with people who have been around uh we've got a guy we're lucky here in in fresno we've got the second oldest four-wheel drive club i suppose in the world for sure in the nation uh since 1950 54 or 1956 there was one club in san diego who out who was a club one year before us but we've got a, a strong heritage here, and we've got a club member who's uh, member number 102, and he's like, a, whatever, 80-something years old, and the stories the guy has, and you know, those are, I just feel, when we can get the younger, the younger people to get involved with clubs, and then they can be around these people who have been in the industry forever, they can learn from the, I guess, elders who can share their stories and get that sort of respect you know uh, we've got this one i i don't know if if this is the right time to talk about it but we've got this one company who before i say anything negative about them they they did the right thing by finding a very low price point where you can have a guy fresh or someone maybe still in high school can afford a Toyota, you know, you can pick up a used Toyota pickup, uh, for, you know, maybe not running for a a grand or so you can get one running in bad condition for a couple grand. And then, you know, you can slap on some inexpensive, low quality parts. And, you know, for, for a few grand, you can, you can get out there and you can go wheeling. Well, these kids don't, you know, they don't have any, they don't have maybe a father figure who had been 
you know, they, they weren't raised wheeling. They don't go to clubs. They're just, they see stuff posted online and they see a desert racer that they don't realize costs $200,000 to build jumping through the dunes. And they think, oh man, this is great. So then they go up into our mountains and they, you know, we, we have uh, corduroys that we lay down logs across uh, river crossings so we can drive through there without damaging the, uh, you know, the, the, the river. Well, clearly, driving over logs is just too boring, apparently. So maybe we should try to go around the, the logs because there are some nice rocks there. And so we've got people who, are, who will actually just go off, you know, they, they're going off trail. They're creating user-created bypasses, what our Forest Service calls it. And then they're posting photos up on Facebook. And they're like, woo check us out. And they're ramping their trucks up on trees, trees that are growing kind of at an angle because maybe they're growing under a rock or something. And they're like, wow, check out an RTI ramp. And that's just what we don't need to be used in a court of law is some uh, attorney with a photo of a guy with a beat up Toyota truck that looks like a raisin and it's half falling apart and it's leaking oil and he's driving up the side of, you know, redwood trees and stuff like that. So I think clubs, they just play in a very important role. And whenever I, I see a club where it's low on attendance, I mean, maybe it's just my, my history of where I was raised in clubs. So I can, I, I have a very strong appreciation for clubs. It's just, it's painful to see if a club shuts down. Um, I think it's important. I think these younger kids need to get involved in the community, like you said. And I think I do agree. Podcasts is a great way, especially kids, who, you know, younger audiences, more tech savvy who are only listening to podcasts. Great. If they can hear guests on, on your show here, maybe can convince them to join a club. I think it would be very worthwhile and very, um, uh, the resources available in a club from just talking with people and getting out and seeing how people will watching how people are patient and polite and ready to help in a moment's notice in the rain, even if it's a different, uh, make just help a guy who's stranded because Hey, one day I'll be stranded. One day my truck will break down and I, I hope some guy wheeling along by himself doesn't doesn't just keep on going. I right. hope he stops and at least offers me a water, you know. So that's what we get from the the older crowd is people who who respect one another. And I hope I hope future generations who go wheeling, you know, especially these guys who are buying these cheap products, it's great that they can get out and and get on the trail. But it's kind of in a way open the door to this whole generation of younger folk who don't have a respect for the hobby as a whole and they're kind of making a kind of a bad name for the hobby in that in that regard right <clears throat> right and, and the the i think the last thing that any of us want to do mike is is be aggressive with these these younger kids or or, or younger folks that that are getting involved in the hobby and and push them push them away or you know we we, yeah. we want to embrace them in the hobby but by yep. the by the same token um they 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 need to learn the 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 correct processes and and learn what uh learn what's at stake and uh, you know i i've my my youngest son is is out of all my kids he's he's kind of the only one that that has gotten interested in in the hobby and uh it would uh it would drive me nuts to think that he he was being 
disrespectful in, you know in any way to to our trails mm-hmm. or to other people on the trail and that kind of stuff i've i've done uh, the the best i could as a, as a parent to uh to, to teach him the, the the right and the wrong and that kind of stuff whether whether he's grasp all of it or not is i guess yet to be seen but i'm i'm hoping for the best at this point anyway yeah i do feel there's there's hope i i I am optimistic about the Tacoma, the FJ Cruiser, the uh, the Toyota World, this side of 1995. Uh, I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and I know you guys talked about how bummed you were to have missed the FJ Summit, FJ Cruiser Summit. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, that is an event that I, I keep hoping <laughs> to get to, but uh, it just uh, just hasn't panned out yet. So, Yeah. I've I was uh, very fortunate to have gone this uh, past in, in July. I went uh, last month, and it was the first time we'd ever gone from from Marlon Crawler. It was, it was we tried to go last year, but it just didn't didn't work out. And of course, now I've got a new Tacoma, so it it made tremendous sense to to get out there and, and try to hit these newer events that, traditionally speaking, Marlon Crawler has just never been a part of. Uh, they have not sent us a demographics report yet, but I remember hearing one of the event organizers mentioned it was somewhere over 60% of the people attending were new, new to the sport. And some of these guys, I had heard it was as high as two dozen, didn't even know how to engage their uh, FJ Cruiser into low range. So they actually had to ask, you know, okay, so what do I do? Okay, I put it in park here. Okay, I'm turning this dial. What am I doing? So... But it, but that's what I feel is needed because you've got these guys, and they're FJ cruisers. They've been doing this, you know, ten years now, and you you go to those events where you've got people who mentors that crowd who can help can help bring up someone to properly understand what it is to go off road. And I think that's it's good. It's promising. Very promising to hear things like that. Absolutely, I I, I couldn't agree more couldn't agree more we uh we've had a great conversation here i don't know how much we've we've talked about uh, uh Mar- marlin crawler but th- there are a couple of things mike that that i would i'd, I'd like to, to ask you about quick or or discuss uh real quick one being um my introduction to to marlin crawler like i mentioned earlier um unfortunately when i when i changed directions on building my my uh first forerunner I, I didn't use any marlin crawler parts but one thing that i i have used and would encourage anybody to check out and, and, and i'd like for you to take just a minute to talk about it is marlin crawler's forum and and the uh the tech articles and that kind of stuff on on marlin's on on y'all's website uh i have uh i've hit that 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 website or y'all's website so many times for different things that uh have have helped me out greatly can you can you take just a minute to talk about where that came from and where the idea and that that kind of stuff and and the contributors and 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 that sort of thing yeah thank you I, i appreciate the question um it's been a while since i've kind of discussed the history of the forum um We've been around since 2002 with that forum. We're, we're one of the older forums that are still around and of any significant size. Uh, we started the same year I Hate Mud started. And I remember uh, Brian Woody 
uh, we would go back and forth competing with growth, with member numbers and post count. And then uh, <clears throat> we were both using the same open sourced uh, bulletin board system called, let's see, back then I think it was called YABB, yet another bulletin board. And then we that changed to then SMF, Simple Mission. There's, we've just, him and I, it was kind of cool. We're just two tech savvy, got, savvy guys. And eventually though, he got a commercial platform where you got to pay, it's not much, it's like a hundred bucks a year uh, to, to have an actual commercial software that you can just do so much more with it. The, uh, the amount of contributors in the, uh, uh, you know, add on modules and stuff like that. And I just, we need to do it. We, we need to step it up and actually get, get an ad legit forum software. Cause uh, I hate mud is, is taken off. They're doing really well, but our form, you know, it's same with me. It'll come up on search results. I'm looking for something just on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm duck, duck going something. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is on our forum. <laughs> I should have just gone and looked at my forum. So the, the forum started actually because of our annual Marlon Crawler Roundup event. And it was started by a man named Sam Silvera, a very close and dear friend of, of ours. And his uh, online moniker is Slinky Sam. And he's got this old Willys, like a M38, whatever it is. And it's got a uh, Vortec, a 4.3 V6 in there into, I wanna say an automatic, into a AA adapter and then a dual ultimate Marlin crawler right up, set up right in there with Toyota axles. And it's really cool. So it's, it's a big, uh, big compilation of, of different parts under that thing. And it, it's really, really a cool rig. He stretched the wheelbase and linked it. And, uh, he, he started this forum to, to kind of have a community for people who are going to go to the very first Marlin crawler roundup and the Marlin crawler roundup is an event that we started back in 2000 and we wanted to do a customer appreciation. And uh, even in the nineties, we had customers say, Marlon, yeah, you should do an annual event. I would totally come out to that. And my dad would always say, oh man, sounds great. I'm just too busy. And then finally it took someone out of the community. It took this guy, Sam, to actually say, okay, Marlon, this is how it's gonna happen. I'm gonna set this up and you're gonna show up. And that was how the first Monocrawler Roundup was born. And it was purely for customer uh, appreciation and more so because it was handled through a forum which at the time at the turn of the century um, there weren't many forums there was pirates of course but I mean I was still on a mailing list for my MR2 there wasn't even a forum for the MR2 community I was I was an active member of the MR2 mailing list it's called the OC the owners club and I had a little sticker going back to the 90s and uh so forums is kind of a new thing and you can get up there and have a profile and have a unique online username, right? And so when you actually get out in public and you meet up somewhere and you go, hey, wow, you're a Supersonic 23. Wow, cool. You know, it's neat when you put a guy's face to his, to his online presence and you see, man, this is your build rig. Yeah, I've been following this build and then bam, there it is. You get to see it. Well, that was, that was a fresh brand new thing that was happening in 2000, 2001, 2002. And the, the forum was set up just for the roundup. And then I asked Sam, I'm like, man, I, you know, I can't believe you set that up. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty easy. Just go to this 
uh, website here. It's all free download, and I just set it up on our own. And then there you go. We, I transferred all the users over, and we had um, a community of about <laughs> like 40 or 50 people. And not many people know this, but someone will have to go on a, a witch, witch hunt to try to find this user. I have a – I'm sure many administrators do this. I've, I've got an alter ego account on our forum who would post up the dumbest questions <laughs> early on. And then, and then I, of course, would swoop in with a really cool response mostly tailored around our products. And so, you know, oh, I just bought this Toyota truck and you now what should I do to get it to get it to go off road? And I'm like, oh, let me answer that for you. <laughs> Let's put in our dual ultimate crawler here. And then you would have people would be chiming in. They'd be re replying to that. They'd find it on search results and they'd say, yeah, I had the same question. And man, it was just early on. That's why uh, it took me a long time to graduate college. I, I eventually did graduate with a mechanical engineering degree. But uh, with, 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 the, with that kind of talent, Mike, I would have so much <laughs> with that, that with that kind of talent I, I, and, and that kind of approach to uh, to marketing. I would have I, I would have figured you would have had a, deg a degree in marketing. So, uh, yeah, he, he would always tell me it's important to use your hands. And when I was doing computer programming, I just got burned out sitting behind the computer. So I switched to mechanical engineering. And now as the president of the company, what am I doing? I'm, I'm sitting behind the computer. <laughs> SolidWorks, designing stuff, uh, doing the website, doing marketing. Um, so I'm, I'm right back at the computer. So, yeah, I should have done marketing. I should have done business. It would have, it, it would have been helpful for sure. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the forum started started out from that, from its humble humble roots, and now we get over a million views per month, and it's it's a uh, we we surpassed a million posts, I believe it was two years ago, and it's it's doing good. We haven't updated it in a long long time, and I've got plans. Probably this winter, we're going to be re just overhauling the entire forum and updating the entire software. We're, we're gonna move away from this open source, which I love. I, I love supporting open source projects and uh, community-driven projects, as you can imagine, being part of you know, four-wheeling communities. But we need to step it up, <clears throat> step it up at the forum. Like I said, I, I've come across information on, on y'all's forum that, that, uh, that I couldn't find anywhere else. Just little, little tidbits of tech information that, you know, I, I was looking for at the time and, and it was, it was right there and, and readily available on, on, on your forum where it wasn't anywhere else. So, uh, that, that was, that was my introduction to, to, uh, to Marlin Crawler. So the roundup, um, our annual customer appreciation event started by, by one of our customers, uh, it, it grew, uh, it's grown a lot. We're now in our 16th year and we initially, it had only been a meetup where we had done a barbecue. We did like a free complimentary barbecue and then we did a little raffle. That was uh, the format for the first three years. And this is done at the Rubicon trail. There's a place near the entrance on the loon lake side called the bowl and we used to just go meet in the bowl and you can even get into there in two wheel drive uh if your truck is so set up um there used to be a, a place called a gatekeeper but due to concerns of environmental environmental concerns they uh they blasted the gatekeeper and now you can go right through it used to be a nice challenging section um but 
it, it used to be held right there and it was a, a free event and proceeds didn't go anywhere. I mean, there were no proceeds. Was, we had a little raffle and it was free to show up. And then in 04, when we were growing as a company, we went from three employees, I believe it was to 14 employees in a matter of two or three years. And then we decided to actually do a full on Rubicon trail ride. And we want, we were in trying to, you know, it's, it's always been Marlon's mission to be part of the community. And he's a, he's a lifetime member of Cal and a lifetime member of TLCA. And so it means a lot to us. And so, we've always wanted to do something to give back in a very large way. And so this is all during that talk earlier about Panamint and, and trails shutting down and us as a community trying to come together to know what we're doing. And so there were a few organizations such as the friends of Panamint Valley, the friends of Johnson Valley, and of course the friends of the Rubicon SOTR. And that, kind of from a spinoff from that turned into this organization called RTF, the Rubicon Trail Foundation. And that's a foundation who is more or less the, uh, I don't know if, if caretaker is the right word, but they they do the most amount of work than anyone. They're, they're, they're pretty much the, the, the group that cares for the trail. And if there's ever a new toilet needs to be installed or any sort of issue, they have their, an actual... I believe they have a guy who has an office in uh, Capitol Hill in Sacramento where they can work hand-in-hand hand hand with um, the government. And they're very big up in the El Dorado National Forest. And so naturally, we're already at the Rubicon Trail. Uh, so we, we turned our event from a customer appreciation run into a, an event where we are sponsoring the actual Rubicon Trail itself. And we are, the event has grown so large that it has surpassed the Rubathon that that occurred, I think in 2008, we actually became bigger than TLCA's own Rubicon event. And we've now donated over $103,000 has been generated from our ticket sales from the raffle and donated directly to the Rubicon Trail Foundation. And <clears throat> Rubicon Trail Foundation just bought over 300 acres of land that's it's private, <clears throat> private and protected land. And you need to provide, the government has to provide access to the land. And it was a huge step in the direction of, uh, of the future use of the Rubicon trail. And, uh, they credited us on their website that a large part of the money that was used to purchase the private land for Rubicon trail foundation came from the event, the monocrawler roundup. So it's really cool to be credited like that. And, the organization has this award called the Rock Award that they give out once per year. It's quite prestigious award. They've only done, I think they've done six of them now. And uh, Marlon and Christine were recognized uh, last year for their contributions, lifetime contributions to the Rubicon Trail. And it was, it was quite a big deal for us to be recognized by, by that community. Um, and that's just all from the success of our event. And uh, the, it's it's held every September, um, right around the weekend of Marlon's birthday. His birthday is uh, the 15th, and so this year I think the roundup's on the 16th. It's the weekend nearest his birthday, and we sign a big old birthday card and sing happy birthday to Marlon. It's it's pretty cool, and and because it it was born from the forum, we post up on the forum. We've got the registration thread on the forum, and people will show up with their actual forum username like 
a little hello my name is sticker on their shirt and it will say hello my name is worms 84 we got this cool guy named thaddeus what's up thaddeus shout out he's got a worms uh his his screen name is worms and you see him walking around and it's like whoa i know that guy and wow you've got that two-tone second gen truck and yeah it's over here and man it's really cool to just meet the people from the forum out on the trail and uh this year we've got 180 rigs officially registered before the cutoff and we always have 30 to 40 late minute stragglers who show up at the event so we're we're going to easily surpass 200 rigs again and we're we're for sure go over 400 meals served um it's a great great fun event and everyone's welcome you don't have to have a marlin crawler you don't have to have a toyota you just need a i guess the only bummer is you have to be able to get to the rubicon springs which means you must have a rubicon capable vehicle Whereas an event such as the FJ Cruiser Summit, you can show up in, in a Honda Civic. You just drive to the city and you can participate to some extent, at least. Um, that's kind of the only the only bummer about doing this on, on the Rubicon Trail. But uh, yeah, thank you. I just wanted to make a little sh- little uh, sh- you know discussion there for the roundup. It's it's a lot of fun, and and as a company, if we're not doing something bigger than ourselves, then what are we doing? So it's always great to give back and be part of something that's that on your own, you just, you couldn't do on your own. And, and that's why just community, as you said earlier, community is just very important for our, for our sport and our hobby as a whole. Mike, cool. w- one more thing that, that I want to ask you about, and, and, and this is something that I, I'm sure that you have a, a, a ton of knowledge on. We've talked a lot about Marlin's mini truck and kind of how it was the, the centerpiece of the company and that kind of stuff. But you uh, you yourself are, are putting together, uh, I, I don't want to put words in the company's mouth or, or words in your mouth, but I, I kind of see it as maybe the, the, the new or or upcoming centerpiece of of Marlin Crawler, or at least another edition with your Tacoma that you're you're you've been building. Um, take a few minutes and and fill everybody in on on just give give an overview of of how you've you've put your uh, put your Tacoma together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, it's yeah, it's I've always wanted to build a Tacoma. Um, never have i think it just comes down to not being excited enough about it and when i look at you know i i don't have regrets in life i don't dwell on the past but when you look at when we started when 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 marlin crawler was created in 94 that following january uh i assume whenever there was a north american auto show i'm sure toyota released the tacoma as a prototype vehicle and then that went on sale in july of 1995 right 1995 and a half a little bit a little bit of a break from tradition for toyota's uh, release schedule they release a little early well then when i built my 81 i've got a 1981 hilux uh rock crawler with triple cases it's got a 511 to 1 uh crawl ratio i built that in in 2004 i bought it in july and in october I had it uh, at the hammers. So it was uh, two months of a lot of work and make sure thing runs good and immediately the first trail I did was down at the hammers. Well, that was 04. Well, that next year, the second generation Tacoma came out. So it's like the company started the same year the first generation Tacoma essentially came out and then 
my whole wheeling, you know, just on a personal level of my own, having my own truck was when the second generation Tacoma came out. So, you know, you kind of kick yourself like, wow, Marlin could have actually had a first gen Tacoma in 95 when the company was first, you know, just starting out. But I mean, things of course were much, much different back then. No one was wheeling IFS. Now you've got a lot of cool IFS parts uh, available. Uh, you know, there were no heavy duty axle upgrades. No one even, there was no such thing as, well, I mean, there was 35s in, in the mid nineties, but um, you know, certainly there weren't forties, 40 inch tires, what we see today and, and, and larger. But uh, yeah, just thinking about Tacoma, um, nothing really hit me until January of 2015, two years ago in January, I saw a photo was released of a really beautiful blue third gen Tacoma. And I fell in love immediately with it. I really liked the look of the new Tacoma. Um, I liked the new engine, uh, super excited. So I spent that whole year saving up money for a down payment. And when uh, August was coming around, I had a high school friend who works at a Toyota dealership. He, he had hooked uh, my wife and I up on a Toyota Yaris that we bought for my wife a few years prior. So I, I had it made. I had a connection there with Toyota dealer, uh, had been saving up, had planned for this. And man, this started a 262, 261-day journey through eight dealerships just to get my one Tacoma. And you might, uh, of, of course, you're going to wonder, wow, man, why, <laughs> what took so long? Well, my background, I have to have a stick shift. I'm a, I'm a stick shift gear jammer through and through. I can't, I'm, I'm just not going to be driving an automatic around. So I wanted to get a stick shift and I just had no idea because I've been living in the, living in the world of Hiluxes where stick shifts are all over the place. No one drives stick shift and maybe the first gen Tacomas. Yeah. You had, you had more, uh, the five speeds, but even, um, you know, second gens are harder to find. And then a third gen Toyota, when I placed my order in early August, our dealer said we should get the truck in October, no later than November. So we were going to unveil it at, uh, the California wheel drive Panama Valley days. That's the, uh, uh, in November, we were going to take it down there. Well, we, uh, we actually later had found out that Toyota didn't even build the first stick shift until January. So from when the model was released in August, those, uh, what, five months, uh, nine to one, those were all just fulfilling orders for automatics. And it wasn't until they had caught up with their production schedule of automatics <clears throat> when the first stick shift finally rolled off the assembly line in January. It's just pretty crazy. Uh, to me to think to think that so really an, an eye-opener there and it took me a long time uh, no one wanted to build this truck they kept telling me I didn't get an automatic of any color it's even better and I'm just like no no want it to be stick shift and I actually had to fly to Dallas Texas we have got a customer who works at Dallas uh, Toyota of Dallas and uh, he he said Mike I know exactly what you need we will get this for you and we did a custom build order. It took four and a half months and I flew to Texas and uh, drove it back home. And that was quite an ordeal and a, a wake up call from pretty much, uh, you know, moving from the old Hiluxes and boy, what a, what a wake up call. I got heated seats now. I got heated mirrors. I've got AC. I have this thing called a radio, um, <laughs> pretty neat music plays inside the vehicle. Um, there's this thing called power windows. You don't have to lean over to roll up and down the, uh, 
the passenger side window. It's, it's really incredible technology has been invented. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but man, I'll tell you what, wheeling that truck. Um, so everyone is asking me, of course, right away, wow, so you're going to solid axle swap this thing. You know, oh, man, how soon until you link it? Well, you know what? I want to cater. I want this truck, like you said, my goal in getting this truck is to develop products for the Tacoma, uh, for the company. And moving forward, I mean, let's let's face it, it's getting harder and harder to find a live axle truck. They were discontinued after 1985 here in the States. Um, you know, and the trucks are older on the, on the East Coast. They're, they're rusting out. I don't even know. I've heard uh, north of you, people can't even find first gens. Can you, what if you wanted to find like a 1979 four-wheel drive pickup? Can you even find one used like on Craigslist in good shape somewhere? Uh, they're they're still around, but they're definitely rare. Um, and, and the the, okay. the the price tag that goes it goes with them, even even for a rough one, uh, is, is pretty steep. Um, okay, over the top. Yes, absolutely. I see. Well, so yeah, definitely with the Tacoma, um, I want to keep it IFS because. 99% of all Tacoma owners are going to have their truck IFS. And, you know, if we can show that <clears throat> despite being IFS, when you gear down, I don't care if you're open, open, you kind of mentioned it earlier about the Marlin crawler being a great first product to have. Even if you're open, open, if you're geared so low, you can apply the brakes and you have so much torque being generated from the gearing, you're still at an idle. You're still only at 800 RPM. You haven't even touched the gas. And you can you can ride the brakes, which will apply brake force to the wheel, which is slipping, right? The wheel, which let's say is up in the air and it's unloaded. And that will create an even distribution of torque to the differential so that the tire that has traction, the tire that's loaded, will actually have torque to it. So even open, open, I can maneuver a truck with a Marlin crawler just like someone who has e-lockers or let's say an ARB or a Detroit. So there's so many features of gearing of when you're geared down that you can take the truck to places previously you just wouldn't even consider going. And that's the goal here with the Tacoma is to keep it IFS to show that it can still do trails like the hammers. Now I, I know people it's a completely different world. It's, it's been a lot of readjusting on my part because, you know, you've got a lot of, I'll just use the term, a lot of bros with their flat bill monster and Red Bull energy hats and a big old monster sticker on their back window. And they just go to the dunes <clears throat> uh, and that's fine. Uh, that's just a, their hobby. It just differs from, from my hobby. A lot of the people though with Tacoma's seem to be into that hobby and when you look on uh, Toyota's corporate USA Facebook page I remember while waiting for my Tacoma of course I was lurking all over the place all over uh, Tacoma forums and I was watching Toyota's Facebook page and whoever runs their Facebook page for corporate USA Toyota <clears throat> they will uh, commonly post up all right guys let's see your muddy Monday let's see your muddiest Tacoma and then everyone's posting up, woohoo, look at my Tacoma in the mud, and there's mud all over the place. Man, mud is horrible. If you've ever gone wheeling in the mud, we've been working on customers' trucks, and you hammer on the frame, and a petrified mud clump falls in your face from 10 years ago. It's just, you can't get that thing out of the frame. Yeah, a, you know, I, a fully channeled box frame, and 
Mud's horrible. I can't stand it. I I, I do you my know, best to truck and it adds weight and oh. I do my best to avoid mud and and still uh, <laughs> I I'm with you. I crawl crawl underneath my truck and it's it's uh, forever still dealing with with mud that that I I even tried to avoid getting into. So I I'm right there with you. I hate mud. Yeah, <clears throat> and then of course sand just kind of goes back to to Marlin, how, I mean, a lot of our mindsets and our, our company culture, of course, uh, being founded by Marlin, he's just so negative with, with uh, sand because of his days of a sand rail, how it just cut the life out of everything. It chews up seals, your truck starts leaking oil, you get sand in the motor, now what, you've got sand going through your piston rings, and now they're scarring your engine block, and it, it's, it's not good. Why do we have an air filter? It's not because we don't want to suck up a June bug. It's because we got we got particulate, we got sand, and now you're going to go through more sand. So, uh, you know, it's just like, man. So, but that's what the Tacomas are used for. And I'm not talking down on anyone who uses the Tacoma for that. It's just that's not what I've been raised to use a truck for. Um, and my Hilux uh, does not go to the sand, my, my, my 81 rock crawler. But here at the Tacoma, you see a lot of guys doing that. And it's just a completely different world for me. And uh, I don't view myself at all to any degree as a pioneer in the Tacoma world, but already the way I'm building the truck, I can already tell is not gonna work. And maybe how I'm comparing it to my 81 perhaps is wrong. And I should not compare it to a rock crawler because maybe the soul of the Tacoma is not a rock crawler, but you know what, then maybe that's where we need someone to, to, for lack of a better word, use the pioneering and do make the truck actually capable as a rock crawler, but without putting on a link, without solid axle swapping it. And I've already got a long travel kit on it, but I already see a lot of limitations already. And I've been wheeling the Rubicon my whole life <clears throat> and since 04 in my own truck and already my lines, I have the whole trail memorized forward and back. And I took my Tacoma on it earlier this, this, uh, in, uh, July last month and whew, what an eye opener. Every line had to be changed, different angles. Uh, the truck's longer. It doesn't flex. <clears throat> Nothing's working constantly stuck i'm always having to use my air lockers man my my hilux i rarely use the lockers you know you only use lockers are only there for when you get stuck and uh <clears throat> when you get your forward momentum going you should turn them off you should reduce the load and uh, i don't know it's just kind of a way marlin does it and it's neat to try to say wow i, I made it up that hill without using the locker it's just kind of cool uh anyone can just flip a locker or weld your differential and go up something what's the fun in that you know you need to have have some driver skill and feel proud about going up something. Otherwise, it's not so much a hobby, I suppose. But with the Tacoma, it was just a constant, constant battle, and it was, in a way, it was a breath of fresh air because the my '81, I built it pretty well to where it really suits my needs and my habits. And that truck is just point and shoot anywhere you 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 direct the truck, it'll just go. And it's almost to the point a couple of coworkers and I joke, I've got 37 inch tires on my Hilux and we joke that we should all go back down to 33s to make four wheeling challenging again, uh, you know, or, or prevent using the crawler. But I mean, it's just too tempting. You've got that lever there. It's, 
once you've used a crawler, it's it's tough when you're stuck. Why? Why would I want someone to winch me when I can just shift one lever and then I can get through it with the mountain crawler? But you know, having this Tacoma, it's just a lot of work, and you got to be on your A game. And the hood goes out for a mile, and you can't see over the doors and the thing. You know, this Tacoma is as long and wide and only half an inch shorter than, you ready for this? A first generation Tundra. Yeah, they're. So this is a full size truck. Yes, yes. Well, whatever happened to the mini truck? You, 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 we, we hear people talk all the time that if, if Toyota would bring back something similar to the mini truck, that it, it would be, uh, it would be awesome. I, I don't see it happening with the sales of the, the Tacoma the way they are. They're not, uh, yeah. they're not having, having trouble moving the Tacoma, but I, I'm with you. Um, I have a, a, a first gen Tundra and, uh, okay. Great I, truck. I, great, great truck. I, I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. Uh, my wife is gonna gonna shoot me because it's technically her truck, but uh, <laughs> it, it it is amazing to park it alongside a a, a new Tacoma. And uh, like you said, the size comparison, they are they're nearly the same truck. And uh, although the the Tundra when it was first released, you know the the, the first gen, it wasn't classified as a full size truck. It was mid size or yeah, whatever, it was a big quarter ton, I guess, or something. A, half a, ton? A quarter ton, I think, is how they. Pardon me. Oh, really? Okay. How they right. how they ranked? I I don't know for sure. I don't remember, but uh, it, it's crazy that the uh, that the Tacoma is is growing into into that same same size truck and and. <clears throat> In in my part of the country, you know, in, in the southeast, I could not imagine. I, a lot of folks do it, and, and I admire every one of them. But I couldn't imagine trying to get that big a truck on some of our some of our tight trails. I that that I, I yeah. lose my mind. Rubicon, there's a um, downhill section called the Big Sluice. Uh, when you're when you're driving the trail from the traditional uh, south to north direction. And there's, there used to be this really cool tree squeeze around a large boulder. And I don't know, well, I, I probably do know. A lot of the trail over the last decade has been really toned down. They've made it a lot easier. And a lot of the talk is that when Chrysler came out with the Rubicon, their, their Jeep, right? They wanted to make the truck capable of the Rubicon trail and every year Jeep brings uh, corporate, um, like uh, actual investors will, they will take them through the trail in a Jeep Rubicon. Well, <clears throat> I've heard that Chrysler put some pressure there on the Forest Service to make the trail a bit easier. And, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna talk down it because it actually was becoming, especially the little sluice, and th- you can bypass it, no problem. But we had guys who would just roll it and they would stay on the throttle upside down and then you've got engine oil coming out your air filter and that's just what we need is the number one trail in the entire well i'm gonna say in the whole country i mean i don't don't know i'm speaking as someone from the west coast that's how i view it uh we got an automobile manufacturer who named a model after the trail so i assume it's a pretty prominent prominent trail in the entire country could you imagine that trail being shut down? It's like, what what could be next if the biggest trail could be shut down? So I do actually appreciate that they've made the trail 
more consciously aware to be good for the environment and to prove to anyone who's we've got Sierra Clubbers and all these people who might be considering that we are this big group of beer drinking people who go out and uh, just drive off the trail. Look, if we can just show, hey, look how responsible we are. We've, we've, we've done these actions without even being asked. This proves that we have the intent of using this trail for the next millennia. So, uh, you know, you stay off our backs or stay off your backs. We can all be happy, happy here. Uh, but they've, they've made the trail uh, easier. And this one rock, the reason why I mention all that, they, they blasted this one rock in this downhill section called the Big Sluice. And it used to be this really nasty uh, tree squeeze around this boulder. And it was really fun. I've got uh, two dents on the side of my bed, uh, same side on my Hilux. They're not really dents. I guess the paint got, got kind of smeared as I go through there so slow with the crawler. Well, it would have been, I don't know how I could have ever taken the Tacoma through there had they not blasted that rock uh, four or five years ago. And even the current route, when I was going through there, I'm thinking, there's no way I can make it through here. So I went around to the left, and it's even harder. I took like a buggy line. Oh, I got in such a mess and had to back up a bunch of times. And everything, everything just changes with this Tacoma. Um, what I want to do with this truck is make it, you know, I could do the expedition build where you do a lot of cross country and you'd want some all terrains, maybe 35s could be, could be nice. Maybe I had 33 inch all terrains. I've never owned a set of all terrains. I had BFG all terrains under the Tacoma earlier this year and last year. That was a great tire. I took it to Moab twice. Um, I was very impressed with those all terrains. Uh, if they would make a 39 inch tire with those all terrains, I would, I would have bought it already. So what I want to do is keep the truck proportionate to my 81. The body is larger. So I, I therefore believe the tires should be larger under the Tacoma than what I've got under my Hilux. So I need something bigger than a 37. But even a 37-inch tire isn't a true 37. And so I've got uh, Interco Irox under my Hilux, and they're 37s. When I put them on, they measure 36 and a half. It's been wheeled for many years with these tires. I'm sure they hardly measure 35 or 35 and a half inch right now if I were to just measure them with the tape measure. So my goal was to find a true 38 for the Tacoma and I can't find anything. You look in that range and you need something that's good for highway use. Cause I, I, you know, I drove it to Colorado or I would like to take it to Colorado and go to go back to Moab. Um, it's hard, hard to find stuff. So I finally found some forties and they, they measure according to this guy online, he's got a Jeep, they measure 39.1 and I'm thinking, okay, great. 39.1 new. After a year of wheeling, it could be a 38 and a half. Another year, okay, okay, we're getting close to 38 here. That's what I'm looking for. So I actually already bought them. <laughs> it's at a 40-inch tires, and I'm going to keep it ISS. And so this is the direction I'm taking the truck. Either I stay 33s and be like everyone and their brother, or I try to go big and have this really unique truck, which means, hey, maybe I should go salt axle swap. Why am I running 40s on ISS? But that then is the purpose to show that the Marlin crawler does not break parts. Because we can gear so slow, we're no longer bouncing, we're no longer slipping the clutch, you're not having to shift back and forth and jerk it, and it's so much gentler on drivetrain components. And if you do feel like something's gonna break, the reaction time that you can sense, you can just feel the truck and you can hear the motor load and you can hear the suspension creak and the truck will just go, and you just know, oh man, something is gonna grenade and it's gonna blow up 
So you can, you know, hit the brake, put it, shift it into neutral, uh, hit engage the clutch and let the drivetrain uh, unload. And then you get out, you know, have some time. Uh, don't, uh, you know, we always try to tell people, look, it's be a man is to get out and ask for help. <laughs> you know, if you're so proud that you can't even have a rock thrown and then you break an axle, well, what better are you when you hold up traffic on a trail that you can't pass and you're there replacing a, a burr field for, or, or a half shaft for an hour? You know, no, no one wants to be stuck behind that guy on the trail who right. broke down. So, uh, you know, Marlon always taught us, um, you know, measure twice, cut once, uh, get out, look, throw some rocks. You realize you're trying to drive up a rock that's your tire is going under the rock and it has to go up and back to get over. It's an under, like an undercut ledge. Obviously, you're going to break something. So the crawler gives you time to be like, man, you know, you get out and you're like, holy cow, this is a horrible line. Well, if I didn't have the crawler, I would have attempted that by, by slipping the clutch and I would have, you know, I would have dumped the clutch and bounced and I would have broke something. So by having 40s, great. I want everyone to think that's ridiculous. And then let's prove <clears throat> to the world that because the Marlon Crawler, uh, we can t- we can take this truck to places where it uh, maybe wouldn't be going with IFS. And let's be up there with guys who have their salt axle swaps and I'll, I'll still be IFS. And that's the direction that I have uh, planned for the Tacoma. That, <clears throat> pardon me, that is awesome. Um, I am so happy to to see guys like you uh, Brian at Front Range uh, put put together that that uh, third gen forerunner that he's got um, with with his his own version the 30 of thirty fine axles. Yeah, with, with his own version of long travel and that kind of stuff. It, it is it yep. is so refreshing for a guy that that has multiple IFS trucks to to see you guys with the the knowledge and the ability to. Uh, develop parts for these str- stronger parts and upgraded parts and that kind of stuff not take the easy route of well we're just going to throw a, a solid axle under the the front of this and and call it a day to to see yeah. you guys almost embrace the challenge of developing stuff for for ifs because that that's that's where toyota's at uh you know, yep. every new truck that they make is is at least in North America anyway is an IFS truck. So to to see companies like Marlin Crawler, yourself, and and like I said, Brian, and several other other companies that are are delving into to uh, the uh, development of upgrading the the IFS, I, that that is awesome to me because it 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 says to me that that one you guys understand where where the industry is headed and two i think that it it shows folks with with newer trucks or or with the, the we discussed it a little bit ago the scarcity of of some of the earlier trucks that the these new you know the new generation of of toyotas can be made to, to be capable um it's it's going to take you guys some time to uh to to develop stuff and and work out the bugs and that kind of stuff but uh for me personally man i i think it's it's awesome that you guys are are getting into that and and looking at that as as uh new new territory cool yeah at uh, excuse me at rubicon in july taking the tacoma through there i had uh three 
people coming up the other way in brand new JKs. And they said, wow, I didn't know those Tacomas could do a trail like this. Had I known that, I would have bought that instead of this JK. Three different guys told me that. <clears throat> that excuse me, that was that was pretty cool uh, to, to you know to hear that. So, and you know, there's people out there who are shopping, who are wondering, man, should I get this Tacoma or should I get this Jeep? And I think you know, the reliability and the heritage of the Toyota is is strong, is a strong selling point. You look at the resale value. Um, the top three, according to Edmonds, for resale value, number one is the FJ Cruiser, number two is the Tacoma, number three is the Forerunner. That's insane. All three truck models from Toyota. Uh, so it's it's cool. It's, it was really neat to see Jeep guys. You know, I, my Hilux, I've I've had it. It's, I guess it's unique in my own little way. But you know, you know everyone's built an older Hilux truck, and it's it's not so special really. It never turns heads from like some Jeep owner, but wow having the Tacoma out there on the trail and to hear Jeep guys I mean it's crazy those guys have to buy like a $45,000 they're spending 15 grand more on the truck just to begin with well if you buy a Tacoma that gives you a $15,000 budget you can already buy our crawler two grand get it installed whatever 800 bucks more for under three grand you've already got a crawler in now okay you've still got well over 10 grand you can easily do some suspensions and tires you can get going right away with a Tacoma uh, compared to a Jeep uh, JK, and all they would have is just a four-to-one low range. Well, with a Marlin Crawler, you now have the 257 plus a 47. It's uh, it's more than our 10.7. It's like a 12.2. I got to memorize these Tacoma numbers. Uh, having the Taco Box is what we call our Tacoma Crawler, and that's a crawler we built back in 01 was when we built the world's first dual case for a first-gen Tacoma. And then when the second gen came out, it took us a few years to, uh, it was a different bolt pattern. And then the same thing here with the third gen, we, we took us about a year here to get the third gen going. Um, but yeah, the, the tremendous gearing abilities that the monocrawler gives you because for instance, my truck with just our one product in there now became a 28 speed truck. I've got 24 forward gears and four reverse gears wow. and a 235 to one crawl ratio. That's, so that's nuts. no Jeep cut that. So, oh, unless you spend a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool. And then strength wise, you know, you, you might think of an Atlas. Well, an Atlas might be stronger, you know, at the hammers, uh, KOH, the King of the hammers, the Atlas has now become the new weak link. That's how insane they're making these, uh, these trucks out there. They've got, you know, over 700 foot pounds of torque in these built motors They're These guys are nuts. And uh, we we feel that with the chain drive T case, our toggle box is comparable in strength to an Atlas. Now I'm not going to say it's stronger, but it's certainly not weaker in a in a degree where the old one used to be. We had to do a lot of upgrades to the old gear drive T case. Well, you look at this chain drive in a Tacoma is the same chain drive that's used in a full size brand new 2017 Tundra with the 5.7 I Force motor that can. You know, it's got a tow capacity to tow a houseboat up a hill. That's the same T-case in there. And so you look at the strength of the chain drive, that's, that's, a, that's a very strong transfer case just from, from the outset. We haven't even done anything chromoly in there, and it's already a very strong T-case. And then you've got the monocrawler, which goes in front of that, whereas before the monocrawler was behind a reduction. So, well, the monocrawler enabled you to put a gear behind a low range. 
now the Monte Carlo, the 4.7, is in front of the TK. So torque that is entering the taco box, the Monte Crawler Tacoma Crawler, is only being multiplied by the transmission. It's not being multiplied by the transmission and the crawl box. So we already have at least a two and a half to one torque advantage over the older Hilux setup, just just by default. So if you can take like, let's say a 3.0 V6 motor, which is perfectly fine to run with a Marlin crawler back in the old day, uh, the old gear drive setup. Well, we can already go two and a half times more torque than that and still be at a fully reliable, fully warranted, uh, fully confident unit. And so, you know, you take uh, 180 foot pounds torque times 2.5. This is already more torque than what the uh, the four liter in your FJ and the Forerunner, uh, more than the four seven out of your Tundra. So we're very confident with the Tacoma crawler because the gear reduction is is only behind the transmission. It's not behind a compounded reduction. So. You know, you don't really, you don't need an Atlas. Just put in, put in a taco box model crawler. It's, it's less expensive, and you get that, that cool factor of it all staying Toyota. Cool Toyota housing, Toyota gear set, Toyota shift rails, Toyota shift forks, Toyota bearings. This is neat. Um, and then if anything breaks down, you know, these parts are available. You can find bearings, you can find seals. You don't have to uh, call up um, some company to get some special aftermarket, you know, components there. So. Cool. Those are really cool, cool things that we got going on for the Tacomas. Well, pardon and me. Cruisers. Like I said, I, I I think it's awesome that you guys are are embracing that and uh, embracing the 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 new models and and moving in that direction. Um, I think the uh, the off road community. You know, one we need that, and and two, like I said, the 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 fact that I feel like you guys see that uh, that that's the the obviously the direction that Toyota has went, and they're they're not going to go back anytime soon anyway. Yeah. The the yep. the, the the fact that that you guys are going to going to support those those trucks and and build parts for them and and offer the the guys that want to put put a truck together like that um is uh is very cool we think so too well mike we have we have been at this for for a couple hours here (laughs) i I meant to meant to have you for a few minutes and 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 we we've uh we've covered a lot of ground here and there is still a ton of stuff that that i would love to uh love to talk to you about maybe we'll we'll have to work on on getting you back on a, a, another time to uh to go through go through some more stuff here but uh thank you thank you so much for uh for the time and and all the di- all the discussion okay again we just just want to take a second and, and say thank you to mike for uh for giving us some time and, and taking the time to do the interview, uh, look forward to hopefully uh, hopefully being able to, being able to uh, to catch up with you and and Marlon both at uh, at Southern Cruiser Crawl here in a couple of weeks. Yep, thanks, Mike, and uh, hopefully uh, I don't know if I'll make it the Southern Cruiser Crawl, but that would be that sounds pretty cool. All righty, Rich. Well, we don't. Uh, we don't have much in in the way of listener feedback other than other than some some kind words sent our way about the uh, the much improved audio quality in the last episode and and we we discussed that earlier on. Um, 
we we've kind of got things a, a little bit backwards here we've we've kind of covered community spotlight a little bit and that kind of stuff so we don't really really have anything to add there either um is there is there anything else that, that you want to get into this episode sir uh no i'm 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 done and and anyone who uh makes it to uh ox east uh hope to see you there well wait this will happen after that so no i i got nothing no i'm just i'm gonna i'm gonna go yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna get get out of here yeah all righty folks well um as... <laughs> <laughs> sorry rich that was terrible <laughs> uh anyway um as usual if you uh if you folks want to get in touch with us, you can do do so through our uh, through our website, toyotatrucksandtrails.com. Uh, give us a follow on Facebook or, or uh, conversate with with us there at Toyota Facebook slash TTAT podcast. Rich, do you want to take just a minute and discuss the new? Pardon me, the Toyota Trucks and Trails group that we just just started. Uh, oh yeah, Facebook had a feature has uh, recently put in a feature, um, and actually I'm not sure how long it's been in, but it's recent to me. Uh, so that that's yeah. um, where it, it allows you to create a group, a Facebook group, which is uh, linked to a page. Um, and for the average Facebook user, you're probably saying, "Huh, what's the difference?" Well, just the difference is uh, groups are a little more interactive where, you know, people can sort of just uh, mingle and, and chatter amongst themselves, whereas, you know, pages are, are, are a page. And uh, so we, we, we decided we, we tested out and we made the Toyota Trucks and Trails podcast group. Woohoo. And so, uh, you know, we encourage you to stop over there and, and uh, it's just another four by four group because, you know, Facebook only had about a million four by four groups so we figured throwing ours in you know ours would be the best one well so. <clears throat> i was just going to say ours is special because it's ours so that's right that's right if uh if you folks want to be a part of that group just uh i, I think you have to requ- request to join but uh don't we uh, did we, we we left it close to the to the public because we didn't want the random chevy owner wandering in and mm-hmm. you know setting up camp right right but it, it, if you folks want to be be a part of that group, be be sure to reach out to us on Facebook, and we'll we'll get you added to the group, and hopefully uh, hopefully get some com- conversation going there. So, Rich, do we do we have anything else, buddy? No, uh, everyone have a, a great uh, week or weekend, and uh, Jason, do your thing. Well, uh, folks, once again, we we appreciate everybody listening. Um, want to give one more uh, big thank you to. Uh, to Blake over at Cruiser Gear for for helping us out as well as Steve Springs at at Southeast Overland for for giving us a hand around here. Um thank you to uh to DRB KGB uh media for for their help and the things that they've been doing. Again folks, thanks for listening and uh, as usual, however you go about it, get out and enjoy your toy. Trucks and Trails is produced in part by DRB and KGB Media.